Mo Facts with Adam Curry for July 25th, 2020. This is episode number 44. And we did it. It's Saturday and we're dropping. <laughs> Can't believe it. <laughs> hey, Mo, how you doing? Dropping on a Saturday dropping on a short on a, week. I'm doing fine. Yeah, dropping on a Saturday, I'm, man. I'm doing fine, Adam. How, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing real good. It's uh, It's been, uh, yeah, I guess it's been a pretty good week. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've done my homework. Uh, I've been uh, I've been doing the work, which means uh, I watched all uh, all the episodes of uh, the Last Dance mm-hmm. about the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, and I feel I've, uh, I've I've been schooled. Now I know what's going on. I also realized that when it comes to podcasting, I'm 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 really you know the Michael Jordan of podcasting, which makes you the Scotty Pippen. I'll be that. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. You you you're not the Michael Jordan of podcasting. You're the Naismith. Oh, I mean, you you, you invented know. the game. I don't, I, mean, I don't know if I can take all that. <laughs> come on, it's all oh, Michael man. Jordan. He only played. You what, the what, game. Well, what a fan podcasting. What, what a fantastic documentary. And the whole time, it's in your face right there. Why is this man successful? Because he had a supportive dad. I think that's a huge part of it. And you can see all these guys, all these, well, Pippen had, you know, a little different situation, but holy crap, man. Dads, that's the common denominator. We have to do that contrast. We have to do that contrast between um, LeBron James, who didn't have that right strong father structure and, and presence. Compared to Michael Jordan, who did mm-hmm. that, that that has to be discussed down the line somewhere because there's a huge contrast there, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it was but, was fascinating to see. I I really enjoyed it. Speaking of father figures, this next topic we cover uh, today it's going to be an influential part of the story as well. Ah, so okay, let me roll out the wheel. Hold on, everybody, it's time to spin the wheel of topics. Where it stops, nobody knows. Well, obviously, Mo kind of knows, but let's see what we're going to be discussing on today's episode of Mo Facts with Adam Curry. This is episode number forty-four. The topic is Barack Hussein Alabama. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we haven't done a full episode on uh, Barack Obama, have we? No, we haven't, and it's it's due time. It's show forty four. Yep, he's the forty fourth president. So ah, and <laughs> coming nice. off the last episode, and coming off the last episode of the Marxism and uh, community organizing, I thought it was only appropriate that we take a official deep dive into into the topic, which you can't cover him in one episode alone. No, I mean, so his, just, his, his rise yeah. was so uh, incredible, how, how it worked in Chicago and everything, and you know, for, forget Hawaii and before that, but it's really quite a tale that, it, you know, it's, it's been written about by many people. I don't know how many people actually know the true story or the outside of the narrative that we've all heard. Well, if you just take it on its face value, you got a man here named Barack Hussein Obama elected in a time where America was fighting a war in the Middle East, and he's so-called black um, by, you know, how loosely they use the definition, but has no lineage to slavery, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, or how it's reported, and he has a mom named Stanley so I mean, like, <laughs> if you if you tell me <laughs> if you tell me that's going to be your forty fourth president, I'm I'm taking the uh, the money against that happening. So <laughs> uh, right, right, right. I hear you on that. 
So the, uh, get into it. I guess we need to just drive on, um, dive right into uh, the, the, the audacity of Barack Obama one. Well, tonight on Harbaugh, we bring you a special report on the audacity of Barack Obama, covering the remarkable journey we've witnessed of him through the Obama era. It's a look back at how the president has conducted himself in the public eye, how he evolved in office, and how he overcame the many challenges that stood in his way. We were there from the very beginning, of course, when as a relatively unknown state senator, Barack Obama delivered that rousing keynote address at the Democratic Convention up in Boston back in 2004. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. Well, even at first glimpse, we all knew, I did, I thought, we're witnessing something special here. Here was my immediate reaction after he was finished with that amazing speech. Oh, his leg was tingling? I have seen the first black president there. <laughs> I know the reason I say that is because, because I think the immigrant experience, combined with the, with the African background, combined with the incredible education, combined with his beautiful speech. Now, every politician gets help for the speech, but that speech was a piece of work. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what was really interesting about that particular convention? That was the first convention that they gave press credentials to bloggers. And Obama was just swamped. He did a lot of work with the bloggers in the in the press room. It was uh, that was definitely a a part that has not been discussed very often. And two things he said in that the clip I run the bell for one he talked about the roadblocks that Obama faced. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, like election wise, not talking about once he got in office and the pushback that he received there. But during the election, I don't remember any roadblocks. I mean, everything was like laid out for him perfectly by the press, by everything else uh, to step right into the position. And two, he said about the background and he even had to catch himself because he said the immigrant background yeah, and then he said yeah, the yeah. African background <laughs> African American experience Ameri- he, <laughs> yeah. he couldn't say African American experience because yeah. that's not technically true right now about this speech he gave at the 90 on uh, excuse me the 2004 uh, convention my man uh, Nitty Fats my, one of my best friends um, if not my best friend we were rapping at the time mm-hmm. and he wrote a, a, a rhyme and was like Barack Obama is going to be the next president or something like that. And we looked at each other and I'm like, I mean, this is like in 04 when he wrote this and we're like, <laughs> and that he- might be so. <laughs> and here's a clip. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, if but only. we just looked when he, when he said that and it was like, yeah, I was like, you might be right. Uh-huh. And after that, it was just like, he came up on the radar and, Boom. It was off to the running. Yeah, yep. it was off, once he came <laughs> out in 04. But I say I said this before and I'll say it again for this show. Yeah. Before 04, I never heard Obama. No. No, unless, never in, ever unless you knew about Illinois state politics or really <laughs> Chicago politics. But that's not the that's not the point I'm making. I got you. I had every copy of Ebony. Ah, I <laughs> Jet, see what you're saying. Right, right. Essence, we watched BT faithfully uh teen summit used to come on saturday mornings all these shows and never in my life heard of barack obama and then he drops out of the sky he just popped out of the womb 
in 2004, like, who is this guy? But nobody questioned his credentials. It's just like, who is he? And he's like, oh, he's our best shot to get a black president. So everybody just kind of got behind him. Yes. And that isn't, that's kind of cutting it short. Everybody just, <laughs> everyone just, oh, all right. Uh, is that what happened? Everyone went, oh, yeah, all right, cool. Well, they gave him the swag test. I mean, that was the term at the time used. I mean, I'm sure it's drip or sauce or whatever other term you want to use now. <laughs> uh, more uh, more uh, recent uh, slang, but he had the swag test. He had the bop. He gave the proper dap. You know, uh, right. he had the black wife, black right. kids. Right. It's like, oh, I mean, he going down the checks and then he didn't have the um, white diction that you normally have with somebody of his credentials. Mm. So it was, it was, it was perfect. I mean, when you hear somebody uh harvard law review and yale and you know skull and bones <laughs> you don't expect him like, to talk in that way <laughs> so right right okay yeah. so he so, he checked so a I, lot of boxes right off the top he checked every box how about that, how about your mom for, how, what did your mom say when she first saw obama everybody loved him yeah i mean it was like barack obama i mean i can't i can't explain it it was just no that's not that, he was uh for, I don't think people could really wrap their head around. I mean, he, we're talking bigger than Martin Luther King. We're talking bigger than Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. on that level of yeah. fame, but overnight, it just came out of nowhere. So, and was I, there I really want people to understand that? Was there discussion about his so-called blackness uh, in your family or with your friends? I don't know. You couldn't question him. Once he hit the scene, it was like he was above questioning because mm-hmm. it was like this is our best shot and when i say us not me per se my generation i think it was the older i hate to use this term but boomers yeah sure. they were like this is what we fought for this is what we even though a lot of them didn't participate in the civil rights movement it was like this is what the whole movement was about yeah that right? makes, I mean, to- that makes total chief, sense this was the, yeah this was the 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 culmination the crescendo of it all this is where this is what we wanted to have right Correct. So let's get into audacity, too. <laughs> it sure was. Three short years later, we gathered at the place where Abraham Lincoln once stood in Springfield, Illinois, to hear the future president kick off his campaign. Coldest day of the year. In the shadow of the old state capitol, where Lincoln once called on a house divided to stand together, where common hopes and common dreams still live, I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for President of the United States of America. I think it's so important we look back and catch the dynamic of this, the wonderful trend of a guy who comes from really nowhere, a state senator, basically is on the road to the White House, a state before he was even elected as a senator from Illinois. Out of nowhere, it's magic. How did it happen? How's it possible? Isn't America great? Very Merck. That's a legit observation. I mean, out of no, I'm one of these people, you know, I mean, I follow policy even as a young person, uh, just a little bit of, um, to give people a little bit of understanding about where I come from. I was like the, a junior freedom rider, um, seventh grade uh, treasure. And that, I have to tell that story another time, but I guess, I mean, I guess I can give a short version of it. Yeah. Seventh grade, I went to treasury for my school. So, 
I guess being a black person and winning that uh, and being the treasurer of seventh grade, mm-hmm. that put a flag on me <laughs> to say like, <laughs> really? No, I'm I'm serious. I mean, it was like kind of um, they brought me into the guidance council office like we want you to be a junior freedom rider. And they put us on a bus and we dressed up and kind of went like did like cosplay for civil rights. Huh. And this is kind of the insight, but I always veered away from that kind of thing. Like, I, I, it just strange, seems strange to me because when we went to these functions, they're pushing all kind of other stuff, like women showing you how to put condoms on with bananas. I'm like, what post we? I thought, thought we were here supposed what? to be Wait freedom ride. When you were seven or eight? No, seventh grade. Oh, seventh, seventh grade. grade. So, okay, I'm sorry. All right. I was just freaking yeah, out. Yeah, but I'm like, but I'm, even thought, then, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pro-black. I mean, like, I'm pro-black. I mean, like, my dad, like, was so seventh grade. So it's about the right time. My dad, at 13, he gives us, he gave us all a copy of Malcolm X, autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's here, and, like, so I'm just waiting. I'm like, yeah, let's go get, you know, <laughs> um, let's go get our freedom. Right, and we get here, and it's all these liberal. Looking back now, hindsight, it's all these liberal policies they're pushing and uh, <clears throat> agendas. And was this and a, was this a predominant strange? Was this a white school, black school? Obviously mixed. What what it, was the degree? It was mostly well, Durham is half and half. Where right. I'm from Durham, North Carolina. Yeah. So I would say it was maybe sixty forty to sixty five thirty five. Mm-hmm. I'm, but um. At these functions, it was majority white people telling uh, you how to put a condom on a banana. Um, it was minorities, so you <laughs> oh, it had to be a, a female, or yeah, it had to be fe- <clears throat> but a lot of females. But yeah, it was just weird. I mean, just give people insight. So I kept up with politics. I mean, long story short, I was kind of into politics and knew who whoever black was running, and Barack Obama never came across my radar right. ever. Right. Well, that's the that's the long, um, short form of that story. But you go freedom just rider. Just want to let Mo. people know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Junior freedom rider. They try to indoctrinate me, man. They try to indoctrinate me early. What happened? We I got escaped. We have to. Yeah, we have to figure out why it didn't work. Why the programming failed on you? Because I was a f- taught to f- think for myself yes. by a strong dad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's part of it. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, we can get away from that uh, long story and get back into Audacity 3. Michael, I think sometimes we got to get away from a president for at least a, maybe a decade before we can even look back and see him whole. What do you think of Obama? Because we're going to go right through this the next 20 minutes. So tell me about what you see now. Well, I think you have to begin by saying that this was a terrific chief of state. This is someone who, with that family and that stature and his persona, represented this country well around the world and, you know, presided wonderfully over this country in that role. You know, the other thing is that, you know, we're so pressed right now to have sort of an instant read on Obama's legacy, the way that future generations will see him. It's going to depend so much on what follows. I know it's somewhat frustrating, but... Let's say Donald Trump uh, turns out to be an effective president and the economy is looking wonderful in a few years. You know, as as Trump goes, if Trump goes up, that's not going to be good for Obama. Ooh, ooh, oh, 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 (laughs) oh. There we have it. Yes. And who, do you know who that was? There we have it. Do you know who that was? Mm -hmm. Who was saying that? Uh, Michael something, uh, I I missed his um, last name. That's all right. That's all right. It was Uh, on the, but there uh, we have it. Yeah. The, the media tripled down on Obama. So 
so if Trump is is successful, no good. Then it makes Obama okay. look even worse yep. and makes the media look bad as well. So yes. now you see part of the motive of keeping the Obama Legacy. product. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I said product for a reason, because let's look at Obama's through the same lens as MLK. I'm not talking about the man here. Now, a large portion of the show, we're going to look into the man. But to the media, he is a product mm-hmm. of our control mechanism I will say this as a politician, you probably can't get any better politician than Barack Obama. One of from the, one of history's best. Absolutely. From the just how to work a crowd and just the appearance and the, yep. and the family and life and com- perfect comedic timing. Uh, a pro. Perfect comedic timing. So good. He and the women loved him because yeah, he's oh not. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. He wasn't. In women's eyes, I've heard to say this. He's not so attractive that he makes men uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. but women have a thing for him. Oh, yeah. And he was a lot of women's fantasy, uh, sexual fantasy. Definitely. Yes. Definitely a lot of white women's sexual fantasy. And, and, and it's no and secret. I, and it's and and I also understand that. I get that. And I would say all women, and for especially single moms, he was like that dad to point to, like, yes. be like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a doofus. Look at you, stupid man with your wife beater. Be like Barack. Exactly. Yeah. It was very so, hard. It was so, very hard for us uh, married men, the Barack Obama years. So hopefully we understand part of the reason why the media will always protect Obama and and bash Trump because they... The media got Obama elected. Let's just be honest here. I mean, he was the media's candidate out the box. Uh, they did everything they could to undermine anybody that got into his way. And this, and we're as we're here later in the show, this did this didn't just start with um, presidential politics. No, no, <laughs> no. So now we have to get into a set of throwback clips. Because they lavished all this praise on him. And this guy, Michael, the last guy that spoke, did this weird thing of, we really need to wait a decade before we judge Obama. Yeah. Because if you look at the facts, <laughs> it's, like we're it's gonna do hard to find anything. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it's nothing really there, especially for black people or so-called black people or quote unquote black people. Um, So let's get into this. Next set of throwback clips from show 23, and we'll start with Tavis Smiley 1. This week, while we were traveling in Iowa, we spoke with Mr. Smiley about what's changed over the last decade. As Martin Luther King Day approaches on Monday, we started by talking about what areas, if any, are better for black America now than they were before Barack Obama took office. I'm sad to report that in every single leading economic category, black America has lost ground over the last decade. In every major economic category, we've lost ground. So this book comes out, as you said, in 2006. So clearly, this book was out before Obama shows up to win in 2008. So the book was never about Barack Obama then. This 10-year update is not about him now. But it is true that uh, over these last 10 years, most of that on his watch, black America has lost ground in the major economic indicator categories yeah it didn't take long for tavis smiley to be (laughs) off the air (laughs) and this is when tavis smiley lost his position in black ink 
Yes. You, you, you yes. went against the, the, the goose that lays golden eggs. Yeah. Uh, and he told the truth and he received so much backlash. And like you said, he just vanished. He was pretty much. Uh, well, he got sued, uh, yeah, for so-called sexual harassment and uh, um, unpleasant workplace atmosphere, hostile workplace, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. And so then PBS uh, dropped him, and then uh, from there just went downhill. And he was labeled as one of the worst things you can be in the black community. Really, a hater. Wow. Wow. A hater. I'm You're Obama just an Obama hater. Uh, You're just a hater. You know, um Is that to this day? Some, it, surely that's changed for some people that they don't think no, that anymore. Or well, is he still Well subconsciously when putting these clips together, that was a subconscious I mean of course it was conscious if I thought about it, but it was a looming, let me use that word, a looming thought is like don't come across as just a hater. Oh. Right? We need we need to have fact no, it's serious because I'm with you. This is a test you can do to see what the, who you're talking to. Bring up Obama <laughs> and see. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Obama it, test, you, right? You have the you have the Obots, which he never did anything wrong, and he they'll even they'll go as far to as explain away why he didn't get anything done with the first two years when he had you know um, everything lined up for him. They'll make excuses for that. But at the same time, they'll say he's the greatest thing ever to happen to us. So those are the Obots. Yeah. And then you have those people that's, uh, well, he was good. Good optics. You know, good optics you know, for black folks. It, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I was talking with the keeper about this uh, just last night, uh, by coincidence. I remember when, uh, and I, I probably have a clip from it somewhere, uh, for the first two weeks after Obama was elected, the first time, uh, the police were everywhere saying, hey, we're going to be really on the watch. Anyone says any racist shit, we're coming after you. They were like super protectors of, of Obama. Do you remember that? No, I don't, I don't remember that. But I remember it was like a long, like four-month hangover <laughs> after he won of just partying, especially inauguration. It seemed like it never ended. <laughs> um, well, yeah, there's the, that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was... I will mention this now, just so people, if they haven't heard previous shows, there was the wink, wink, nod, nod. The first four years, he has to do his, you know, be presidential, and but if we can just get him to the second term, then then he's going to do <laughs> it, all the cool stuff for black folks, right? Reparations, all that, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that was not verbalized, but that was the. The, the wink wink nod sure, nod like sure. we got we got one in we got went in and there was no reason um, not to think that were there any community leaders who were uh, spearheading this uh, wink wink nudge nudge or was it really everyone not even al sharpton was saying anything you couldn't talk about it though right because right, like right. you don't want to scare white folks like, <laughs> can't wow. scare the white voters you know so hmm. that was the balance because the his the makeup of what got him elected was a lot of people it had to take it had to be a lot of white people i oh, mean of course sure, he had black sure. turnout but he so it's like this balance that he he can't seem too scary but he's one of ours you know in many we can't in many ways in many ways i think it was a bit of a reparation vote uh just considering <laughs> goggles or do i just keep going um no please continue, yeah, was, I'm, I'm gonna follow you up it was uh 
Not a not a guilt vote. It was really a reparation vote because I think that when people voted for Obama, they really wanted to. My uncle, Republican all his life, CIA guy, total you know best friends with Bush Senior. Nah, Obama twice, and it was really um, and of course the hope and change message worked extremely well. Although you know it was, I think rightly universally scoffed. Um, mm-hmm. But the sad thing is. I really believe that if Obama had spent time in his second term on doing, well, let's just call it on um, getting tangibles, I think mm-hmm. it would, I think he could have gotten it. I really do. I think he had the the motivation. Yeah, you know, screw the Republicans or whoever. You know what? I think he could have gotten stuff done, like real tangible stuff. I'm glad you call it a reparations vote. And it's not the fact that it's like, are we voting because we owe you something? It was the fact that, see, if you put up a quality black person for the job, right. I don't mind hiring them. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It goes to show you, like, I'm all about the content of your character. That, yes. that you know, they use that line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was like white people thought, like, see, you put up a quality candidate, we'll vote for him. Um, now I will say this about reparations: the same high that we had of the post-racial America that they tried to sell us to uh, sell us on real reparations. will do that. And it will have the real effect because yeah. it's like job. I mean, like we handle that. <laughs> so you can't, can't beat me over the head with anymore. And that's why I'm a proponent of reparations. Right. So Not it's for, done. So it's done and, uh, right. and over with. Yeah. Now we can stop talking about this 400 year narrative, mm-hmm. which I always say, the narrative is just as dangerous as the action because yeah, no that's where the mental slavery stems from uh, is, the, is the narrative. So you could put a tie that up, put a button on it, and then you can go and, you know, start, start moving, moving forward slavery. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I just want to let people know <clears throat> that high and that camaraderie that we had post right, right after Obama and pre the beer gate. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, we can, that, that could be the real, um, that could be the real feeling. Um, so yeah, I guess we can let Tavis Smiley continue on with two, uh, talking about how we lost ground. What accounts for the fact that less, that, that so little progress, or indeed the backsliding, what accounts for that going on under the, the, the leadership of the first African-American president? Why, how do we explain that? Yeah, I think there are a few things. And to your question, how do we explain it? I don't know. I think the historians are going to have a very difficult time trying to juxtapose how in the era of the first black president, the bottom fell out for black America. That's going to be a hard juxtaposition to make. I hope to be around to read what their account is for, for why they think that happened. But uh, my research in this text suggests a few things in no particular order. Number one, there was too much deference to the president by black people. Uh, we got so caught up in the symbolism that we didn't press hard enough on the substance. And so symbolism does matter. I just think substance matters as well. And so there was too much deference in some part to the president on the part of black people. Black leaders were sidelined and silenced too often in favor of an invitation to the White House. And so um, more could have been done in terms of pressing an agenda. You look at the gay and lesbian community. Uh, look at the environmental movement. Uh, of course, Wall Street gets everything they want, but look at what other communities gained over the last decade and look how black America wasn't just stagnant, but indeed lost ground over the last 10 years in part one because we were too deferential. Oh, man. He, he's probably ground zero of the cancel cannon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can we get one for uh, yes. uh, Tavis Smiley, please? Boom, 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 boom. 
he never got a, a cannon because it was he was before his time. A tr- he was trending. <laughs> and he, as he said it, he was saying why I'm going to be canceled because you can't say anything bad about him. You got it. You know, all the leaders were sidelined. Yep. Nobody questioned him. And it was just at least no. Here's the line everybody would use when you back them into a corner and they can't, they don't have anything from Obama. They say, at least he showed my kids they one day could be black president. Right. And that's, that's pretty much the whole legacy. At least. That's it. At that's least. It. it starts with at least. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. That's really too bad. Really a missed chance. I mean, I, I never, I knew very early on something was up, not with Obama. But I was uh, going back and forth between London and San Francisco at the time. And in the condo I was uh, renting, or apartment I was renting, the my next-door neighbor, she was, I think that's maybe where I started using the term an Obama bot. And they had camps. And she would volunteer. And these camps were like, you know, two, three days in a row. And you'd learn how to harass people <laughs> into voting for Obama. It was, it was uh, she was white. Uh, and really, really dedicated compared to now, I would say, probably with an undertone of a Black Lives Matter type vigor. You know what I mean? And all, mm-hmm. all, without mm-hmm. saying, what, you're going to vote for the black man. You know, almost not verbalizing that, but it was pretty clear. And also a, a, a very strong sense of if you're not for Obama, then you're no good. There was a very strong sense of that. Yeah. Let me say it like, like I think I hear it. If you're not for Obama, you're against black people. Well, that's obviously the implication. Yes, of course. You're obviously a racist prick. to put. Yeah, but, yeah. but that, that's what white people do to each other. Well, well no, because it's happening on the other side now with 45. Uh, if you're for Donald Trump, you have to be a coon. <laughs> Okay, so, so I mean, yeah. it's, it's the hands same. across the border, buddy. There you go. It's the it's, same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like you're browbeating into believing what everybody else wants you to believe instead of having your own. But is a coon uh, is opinion. a coon just as bad as a racist, or is a racist worse? Than, I mean, what trumps in paper scissors, paper rock scissors? You know, which one wins? Well, uh, so a coon is equal to what they call a race traitor. I mean, that's the best. That's a traitor, a real traitor. Okay, right. Right, so, so it's, a it's modern, probably the worst thing. It's a hurtful version of Uncle Tom. You're ousted. I mean, you're ousted from the right. community. It's right. Gotcha. I'm having Tavis Smiley, but worse. Um, Oof. Okay. So clear. I got it. Yeah. So I guess we'll wrap up with the final clip from um, from Tavis. Number two, clearly there was indifference. Uh, There's no doubt about the fact that this president received the kind of headwind that no president has ever received. There was clearly obstructionism. So that that's a factor as well. But the third factor, I think uh, I would put as a question, I think, again, historians would debate this for years to come. Did Barack Obama not get enough done on black issues because he was obstructed? Or did he not try hard enough? Did he not do enough? And I think the answer is clearly both. We'll see where the historians come down on that. But this book, again, is not about him per se. It's about where black America is 10 years after that text. And again, it's just not a happy report. There are pockets of progress, but across the board, we've regressed. This was Tavis uh, promoting his book? Yes. Do you know the title of it by any chance? Uh, I think it is uh, Black America Lost Ground Under Obama. I think it's something similar to the the title of the sh- uh, those okay. clips. All right, I'll uh, I'll make sure I get it in the show notes. 
All right. So that's how it began and how it ended. <laughs> so well, what we had to do now is fill in. We're not really going to get into his any of his policies or things of that nature. I want to get into who was Barack Obama before he was presented to us in 04. Mm-hmm. And then what was the fallout of having him for eight years? That's kind of like where we're going with this show. So the biggest fear of Barack Obama, I would say from, and I'm, I can't, I'm speaking out of place here because I, I'm not a white person, but a non-black person, the biggest fear was he could secretly be an angry black man, right? That's that's the secret. And so much so, they had the angry translator at the uh, press dinner, I believe I believe it was. Um, it was uh, Peel from uh, Key and Peel. Key and Peel, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, like Obama would say something and then Peel would translate it in the angry black man voice. <laughs> I remember this, this bit, was, <laughs> yes. Um, but so they actually did one on the show, on the Key and Peel show itself. And let's just, I mean, it's funny how art imitates life, which imitates art, right? I mean, it's a mm-hmm. uh, cyclical thing. Um, so let's get into the art portion of it with uh, Obama's angry translator. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Now, before I begin, I just want to say that I know a lot of people out there seem to think that uh, I don't get angry. (laughs) That's just not true. I get angry a lot. Uh, It's just that the way I express passion is different from most. So, just so there's no more confusion, we've hired Luther here to be my anger translator. Luther? Hi. First off... Concerning the recent developments in the Middle Eastern region, uh, I just want to reiterate our unflinching support for all people and their right to a democratic process. Hey, all y'all dictators out there, keep messing around and see what happens. Just see what happens. Watch! Also, to the governments of Iran (laughs) and North Korea, uh, we once again urge you to discontinue your uranium enrichment program. Hey, Mahmoud, Kim Jong, I think I already told both y'all, 86 your shit, bitches. I'm going to come over there and do it for y'all please test me and see what happens on the domestic front uh, i just want to say to my critics i hear your voices and i'm aware of your concerns so maybe if you can chill the hell out for like a second then maybe i can focus on some shit you know that goes for everybody now, now you have an interesting <laughs> you have an interesting take on that tell me again you thought that perhaps people were worried he was an angry black man uh secretly an angry black man or there was fear of that yeah, it's fear of that because they thought behind the smile and the... Well, who's they? White people? Okay, I'm going to say this. This is the perception of black people, of white people concerning Obama. Good. And the fear of voting good, for him. Good, good. I did not take that at all. I've never heard this. I, In my core of whiteness, I don't feel it. I'll tell you what, it, what to me it meant and still means mm-hmm. is the guy doesn't have enough black credibility. And you know needs a little toughening up, a little little gangster, uh, little gangster narrative. So yeah, he talks like this, but this is really, really what's going down. And quite honestly, that's not much different than what Trump says in Trump language. Hey, hey, little man, hey, rocket man. That's, I, <laughs> yes, that's why I rang the bell. Yeah. Luther actually sounds like Trump. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like, it's like yes. Obama <laughs> thinks it, and it's okay for him to think it. But you just can't say it. And I think that's why people really 
have it out for 45 Savage is that <laughs> he actually said it, did you just say 45 Savage? I, never yeah, that's it. my name for Trump. I've never yeah. heard this. You've never you've not introduced this on the show. I have. I have. You just catch up. I did yeah. Yeah, well, 40, I, I yeah was 45 sleeping. 45 Savage. Yes. So, but, so, but, um, but seriously, this is this is this is what I love. This is very interesting. I re, of course there are outliers, but in general, I don't think there were any white people were all in, man. They're like, yeah. Well, there was issues, of course, and but, and there was narrative in the media. But to me, this was something actually. To me, it made it. It, it worked for him. I was like, yeah. Yeah, if you know, why don't you talk like that? It was actually kind of my because I remember this what, happening the ang- at the, the time. Angry? Oh no, 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 no. I understand last why he you, can't do that. But last it, thing you could be in America is an angry black I man. I understand. Period. I understand, and and I'm, <laughs> I don't want to take away from your flow, uh, uh, but it's no, ju- no, please, it's no, just no, this, it's just as interesting to me that mm-hmm. you and we're generalizing. You say black right. people thought that's what white people thought about the black man. And I'm just saying, I don't think so. I don't think there was a majority of people scared about him being an angry black man. I think they were scared of other things, which we didn't, which were unknown. You know, his real background, you, know, this, you got this fuzziness of, uh, of the birth certificate. Is he, is he, a, mm-hmm. is he a, a Muslim? You know, there was a lot of shit being thrown in the air. Angry black man. Not one of the memes I remember. That's all. Doesn't doesn't mean well, no, that's, no. that's just as good. That's the undercurrent of being a Marxist. That's the undercurrent of being maybe a sleeper cell terrorist. You know, he's fueled by some kind of anger. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And okay. let me all let right. me let all people. Right. I'm, I, yeah, no, I'm I'm with that. I'm with that. Right. Let, because like I was saying, the anger manifests itself as oh, he wants to destroy the America, America, or he's. He's the Antichrist, or I mean, like all these things. Oh yeah, okay. Out. Well, all, so, all of that is true, of course. <laughs> it's deep. It's, it's deep seated in that anger. And let me let me as a side, I got I have to say this because we never breached it. I mean, we never broached this topic before. The angry black man. Black men have to be self conscious of how we're perceived, not to come off as angry. And this is a real thing because. Just say if I'm somewhere and I at work or what somewhere and I have a scowl on my face from thinking, like when I'm in thought, yeah. I scowl. Yeah. People come to you and say, You all right? You all right? Everything everything all right? It's like, what do you mean? Is everything all right? Um Huh. That's that, it's, it's, that well, you it's, know a, it's a real phenomenon yeah, and it has yeah. to be talked about yeah, yeah. and this is why people say oh why are black men so docile it's cause <laughs> like if I raise my voice you say like I'm gonna go crazy <laughs> right. well, and, and that fears oh, people that's I mean, really that, that sca- it really scares yes, people I, you I, have to be I, I, I had an experience a couple, yeah, a couple months ago it was during the lockdown mm-hmm. and uh, I'd just come out of the grocery store and I and I drive. This is a very busy intersection, and uh, so. But but of course, it's it's Rona lockdown, so there's not a, not a lot of cars. There's cars, and I got a I got a, a full green light, so I'm just moving. And there's this guy. He starts you know he starts crossing the road, looks, sees me, and does one of those slow crosses. So he's crossing on red, you know, and it's just really slow. Now he looked. He was he was dark skinned. Um, mm-hmm. I. 
he could have been uh didn't look homeless looked more griftery but it doesn't really matter and you know so i just slowed down and the guy's just slow, you know i'm like Ugh. and so i i tap the horn beep beep and the guy goes into a rage and yelling and you know angry black man and for me the, the, here's, here's the reason why i wouldn't have brought it up otherwise but I felt mm-hmm. so comfortable. It didn't scare me at all. <laughs> and I think the show has influenced me. I'm like, oh, all right, man. You go ahead. You wave your arms all you want. You want. But I could see the other motorists because I stopped. And I, and I, and I opened the window, window. I said, hey, man, just chill out, bro. Just follow the rules. We all got to do it. But I, I just I didn't feel scared at all, it, which is new for me because I'm sure I would have in the past. And, and and just to just to wrap this up, this is this what in black people's mind, especially black men, yeah, the uh, appearing as an angry black That's man is really up. what heightens yeah. the fear yeah. between cops yeah. and black men because it's like you. Coming into the situation, that's why you can have one cop that's cool. He's like, "Hey, bro, you know, right, and, right." And then the next cop comes over, like, "Hands in the hood." I mean, like, yeah. what? What? Uh, do you know what the difference is between those cops? I have no idea. The one cop has done the work. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, you, you exactly right. It's really true. It's, uh, it's just not the work that Robin D'Angelo is uh, is serving up. No, it, it's it's it, no. yeah. But you have experience with dealing with it. It's cultural. It's like you know. Um, yeah, I understand. It's very cultural. I think that that uh, but, is a topic for the future. We might want to expand on because that's a really good yes. one. And it's and it's meta. It's meta across everything. So to get to this angry black man that America feared, I found this clip of this young black man that would probably be about the same age as Barack Obama, maybe a little older, mm-hmm. but maybe from the same generation. But he comes from Ados lineage, yeah, um, which is a huge difference. I mean, makes a huge difference as we're going to hear later on in the show. But this is what America feared Barack Obama may be. Uh, first, you tell us that it is manly to keep your word. All right, if you are a man, you keep your word. And now all of the black people in this country are demanding, and even the black people in the whole world are demanding, is that you keep your word. You told us we were free. Well, then show us that we're free. You told us that there is justice, equality for all in this country. Well, then stick to your word and let us see the justice and equality for all. Or else admit to us that you're not a man. You're a worm. You're afraid of us. You're afraid to give us equal stand. You're afraid that if you give us equal ground, that we will match you and we will override you. And if that's what you're afraid of us, then, then tell us that just what you're afraid of. But don't keep hiding it from us and, and holding this up to us. And every time we ask you for something, you give us a little bit of something. And it's all tokenism. We don't want tokenism. And there are most black men in this world that don't want charity. And yet still every time we ask you for something, you give us a little piece, a little piece. You're playing games with us. We're not children. We're we're big men. I've seen my father have to put up with all kinds of stuff. He was a big man. He raised a family. He went down south and he had to go around to the back door with his wife. We're not asking for anything. We're not asking for any favors. All we want is what's ours. Yeah, yeah. So of course, that. <laughs> so that's what they were afraid of, or him being. Uh, when you're that kind of black man, or raised by that kind of black man, as my. This sounds a lot like my father. I'm just gonna say that, as in 
I did everything right and you still want to mess with me. And yeah. they thought that's behind that smile of Obama <laughs> and the cool as a cucumber demeanor. Right. Was was lying that. <laughs> uh, now, other people had other things that, you know, that we talked about, you know, uh, terrorists, things of that nature. But I believe in black people's minds, we thought white people had that fear. And that's where a lot of criticism came from. So when you wanted to criticize him, you were aligning yourself with that thought. Wow. I hope I made myself clear. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's totally clear. But you you also understand it's, that I, I think that that was much less uh, in people's minds. I understand the undercurrent. No, no, no. I'm just explaining to you why he was given a pass and couldn't be criticized. Of it's course, like, of course. White people didn't want to appear that way. <laughs> no as kidding. I just what I just laid out. Mm-hmm. And black people didn't want to appear aligned with that. Right. <laughs> so it's like, no, delicate, no criticism. Very delicate, yeah, very delicate balance. But it worked. Yes. And he, he knew how to navigate that very well to not play the race car, but just like flash it. Like, let you know I got it. I'm not going to play it yet. Just, just gonna... pow, there it is. Just a little, little corner. Right. Um. So, as we learn more and more about um Barry, we get to see he's the furthest thing from that. I mean, he... And I guess the people that put him in power knew that. So you're like, you don't want to have a black man with the nuke codes. I mean, like anything, anything, anything might happen. Um, but they felt safe um, that he wouldn't be that way. And it's maybe because of his, uh, his upbringing background. Mm-hmm. To look into his upbringing background, we're going to jump right into it. Um, yep. We have a throwback clip from Judge Joe Brown on, on Barry. Has anybody black ever gone and checked out who it is in the White House? <laughs> he went through school as Barry Sotoro. Mm-hmm. His stepfather and adoptive father, Lolo, L-O-L-O, Sotoro, died as one of the 20 richest men on the planet Earth. Obama is beneficiary of a trust fund along with his two half-siblings. He is probably Probably the richest man to ever occupy the White House. Lolo Sotoro was a major in the Indonesian Army and a contractor with the CIA. What Daddy did was run death squads for the Indonesian government. He was an executive vice president for Standard Oil, and when he decided to set up his own company in Indonesia, where possibly the world's largest oil reserve. Located. I imagine he used his position of having an active death squad at his proposal to facilitate some of his business dealings. And now, interestingly enough, there are documented moments between George Herbert Walker Bush, who was head of the CIA at the time, and Lolo Sotoro have certain arrangements, and they were frequent golf partners. And uh, Lolo Sotoro used Goldman Sachs as its as his American financier or financial banking institution. Yeah, it was really interesting to see that uh, Wikipedia does not have any of that information on Lolo Sotero. No, actually, you can't find any information on Harley. I mean, as uh, Jojo Brown said in further clips, and if you want to hear more about that, go back to show 14. But as he said in um, clips after that, 
that he had to go like to page fourteen, fifteen on Google just to you know on the Google search, yeah, just to, just to find anything. anything on Lolo. Yes, exactly. Well, luckily uh, that was poor auto quality because I think Judge Joe Brown being interviewed in a restaurant over dinner, um, <laughs> he did a, a, a studio interview and he shared more details on this not well publicized past of um, Barack Obama. And I will say this, Judge Joe Brown, he's a very serious person. I mean, he's a judge. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't take him you know, to be a hater. I mean, because I mean, that's the word, right? I mean, he's not Obama hater. But if you do your homework, you'll start to find some of these things have a lot of um, a validity to him. So I guess we can get into uh, the cleaner version, audio cleaner of Obama's past one. And the last one, number 44 and the one before that, 43, Bush and Obama. Well, there are pictures of Bush with his arm around uh, eight-year-old Barack Obama because his stepdaddy, adopted daddy, Lolo Sotoro, had done a lifetime worth of business with the Bushes. Uh, Uncle George Herbert Walker, after whom George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush Warren president, was named, founded Halliburton in 1946 in Oklahoma. And Lolo Sotoro had been international executive vice president for Standard Oil. There, there was talk of him being a CIA asset. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, see, he ran the death squads for the Indonesian Army. On mm-hmm. his own call, anyone could be assassinated. So when George Herbert Walker Bush became head of the CIA under the Ford administration, he just got with his old buddy in the oil business, Lolo Sotoro, and pulled off the hits <laughs> oh yeah well so the reason why i'm laying this out is people are like what's so what does this have to do with anything i want to lay this narrative out so when we listen to the uh clips after this we can see see it through the lens of possibly barack obama being a control asset slash i hate to use this word because it's, it's a loaded term manchurian candidate I don't mean uh, in the terms of he's going to go crazy and do something, but just being controlled from the from the onset. And, and having done a lot of this work uh, for No Agenda, uh, it's probably worth mentioning that it's going to sound pretty crazy, but all of these connections really do make sense. <laughs> and and you know and, you can find that I'm putting stuff in the show notes right now about the Soteros and the uh, the Indonesian massacres between '65 and. I think 1990, and it's it's this is not fantasy, and uh, the CIA stuff is uh, also, I think, demonstrably true. And the far more uh, interesting facts <clears throat> and and branch on that tree is the Dunhams. Is oh his, yeah, uh, and Dunham maternal for, oh, grandparents. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I think his um yeah his grandfather and grandmother had ties to uh, governmental agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess um. Let's just go ahead and let Joe roll. He's on a, he's on a roll, so let's let him continue. <laughs> Even some of the richest people in America don't make that. Why? Because when his stepdaddy died, he was one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. And he left everything in a trust fund, operated out of Indonesia, oh. so the American government can't touch it. That makes Barack Obama one-third beneficiary for the assets of one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. 
see, wow. so we got a game run on us. So, you know, that little thing that Bush W. does when he gets with Michelle, they giggle and he gives a candy. Mm-hmm. The inside thing, is that supposed to be the same kind of candy he used to give to her husband when he was six, seven, eight years old? Oh, wow. That's so <laughs> creepy. I hadn't heard that one. I like that. Oh, yeah. They're always buddy-buddy. But that's yeah, Sotero, Sotero's. Uh, and it's S O E T O R O. They were they were they were all in the oil business with the Bushes. Same same criminal enterprise. Yeah, because you got Zapato oil, and I mean, yep. you go down there. I mean, that's a, that's a killer rabbit hole it's, to, yes. to go down if you start following that trail because this ties into many historical events. Uh, one being in dallas but i'll leave it at that right <laughs> no he can't re- but you know george uh h walker bush can't right. remember where he was on the day jfk was uh assassinated he's the only guy I just the only guy who I can't, just can't remember. remember where i was at um <laughs> and i will say this as just a point george bush senior let's just call him that uh probably ran this country from in my opinion from 1980 onward until Trump got into office. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that to be so. Uh, he, I mean, because you think they said um, Reagan's uh, mental capacity was uh, diminishing even when he was in office. Who was his vice president? George Bush. And then you hear the stories of Clinton and Bush, their well, they connection. Had, yeah, they hold the whole, the whole uh, Iran-Contra, Mena, Arkansas. Uh, Billy yep. Boy was a, a soldier in the empire. Right. So, like, uh, you really didn't have a choice. If you think about it, you really didn't have a choice because if Clinton is Bush's guy and they're running against each other, <laughs> yeah, exactly. either way, it's going to be ran gonna, by Bush. And then, right. his, then Bush runs his son against Clinton's vice president. Yep. And they kind of just called it like, ah, nah, Bush won. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> pretty well, forget the hanging chads. The Supreme Court kind of called it. Right. Uh, but, well, <laughs> who came in? You know, I mean, I died. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, and then following that, you have Obama come in, which Obama has clear ties to George Bush Sr. So we... And if you notice how long the flag stayed at half staff, <laughs> that lets you know yes. how much pull George Bush Sr. had in this country. Oh, yeah. Um, Massive. So I just want to say that because that is, that's critical to what power structure Barack Obama really came from. Also, it, it makes uh, it very understandable why my longtime CIA uncle had no problem voting for Barack Obama. It's the same company, same organization. And that go even further that goes to show you why the intelligence agencies really has one on for donald trump you know there's really no bigger man who's a conspiracy theorist than a black man who's a conspiracy theorist (laughs) this is this is cultural (laughs) tell me it ain't true mo this is cultural because there's so many going you know going back to to well for me claudette colvin and there's so many of these which would be if i said that now in public people are like oh man it's wrong with you this is conspiracy theory nut job because we always knew black ink existed mm-hmm. and it's like okay who employs and empowers black ink yep so it's like so you have to question everything everything oh, that comes tiring. down because like what what's your motive? Why, why are you trying to steer me? How how are you trying to handle and, and me? And this and this is this is why we we clicked so well. 
when we first started talking. You know, you know, it's like I I think like that all the time. That's I just condition myself. That's what I do. Uh, but I didn't grow up necessarily having to do that or thinking that. But that's why we connect. I love it. Yeah. And that's how I had to grow up because it's like everybody smiles in your face at your friend. You get that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not to be distrusting of people, but you also, and this is why I said Barack Obama come, dropping out of the sky. Yeah, that's like flag. That's a red flag right there. That goes totally against, just say if we had a community, uh, you want to know who's passing through your town, your, you know, your neighborhood. Who, who's he with? Who's he connected with? Sure. I mean, even old folks say that like, uh, who, who's his family? You know, yeah. where that boy come yeah. from? I mean, that kind of yeah. thing. My who's he married to? Say that who's his grandma? He's like, oh, he's yeah. He's like, oh, he's so and so Hamilton. Oh, I know those Hamiltons. They ain't no good. <laughs> <laughs> so for not him to for him not to be vouched for and just showed up and, and basically vetted. He wasn't vetted <laughs> at all. Right at all. Uh, but in hindsight, we had to start doing some digging. And that's what Joe, uh, Judge Joe Brown is doing and will continue to do. But I will say this. Now, Judge Joe Brown is a huge proponent of black masculinity and black men. Mm-hmm. So if it was no fire there, he wouldn't say anything about the smoke. Right. So obviously he has ac- uh, ac- access to information that emboldens him to come out and say these things, knowing he could be, you know, uh, removed right if uh if they're not true right so, so i just want to so, speak to yeah, his, the, um, the lack of his credibility uh, yeah the lack of pushback on him on that uh kind of shows the people like mm, quiet yeah like shut up shut <laughs> up joe <laughs> shut up joe yeah <laughs> well we won't shut up joe and we're gonna let joe continue in clip three barack's grandmother has been acknowledged as being the woman that operated the channels through which CIA money went to the Southwest Pacific. So she introduced her daughter, who had just had Barry, Barack, to Lolo Sotoro, and they got married, and Lolo Sotoro adopted Barack Obama. The name was changed to Barry Sotoro. Mm-hmm. Now, when he went to high school in Hawaii, I know about that high school. I almost sent my oldest son to it. I could afford it, but I didn't think he observed, deserved it. <laughs> 20 years ago, the tuition was $95,000 a year, wow. not including room and board. When Obama went there, I've talked to two of his classmates. They independently state that the tuition, not including room and board, was 45000 Now, Business Insider reports his income for 2017 at over $200 million net. That's after taxes, deductions, write-offs. Mm-hmm. For this wow. last year, 2018, they reported it as $570-plus million. <laughs> and that's after all deductions, tax write Trump doesn't make that net. <laughs> Big Bank Barry. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Damn. So people say, well, Joe, it's eh, like you got to axe the grind. There's other people that were sounding these alarms, and this is from the other side of the sphere, uh, political sphere. Uh, and this is uh, CIA of four stages of completion. I know the released report has claimed that the 44th president of the United States is a CIA creation. American investigative journalist Wayne Matson says Barack Obama, as well as his family, including his parents, stepfather, and grandmother, had connections with the CIA. America, 
Tonight, if you feel the same energy that I do, if you feel the same urgency that I... An exceptional orator, promise for the disillusioned, and change from the status quo. These are all what helped Barack Obama to become president two years ago. But now the reality seems to be something far from that. And what is being called a bombshell, investigative journalist Wayne Matson has revealed in a report that in 1983, President Obama worked for the Business International Corporation, which was a CIA front. The company used to conduct seminars with the world's most powerful leaders as agents abroad with CIA espionage activities. Matson says this intelligence connection runs in Obama's family. Obama's maternal grandmother, Madeleine Dunham, was one of the first female vice presidents of the Bank of Hawaii in Honolulu. The report says this bank was also a CIA front for funneling money to oppressive dictators and rulers, such as former Indonesian President Suharto, who came into power through a CIA-backed coup. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, you know, having grown up in the Netherlands, I know a lot about the Indonesia story because it was a Dutch colony. Oh, okay. And, uh, uh yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot there. Yeah, there is. Um, and I, I, I'll say this a lot of the topics I really don't dive into about him or around him because they're, they're non starters. I mean, you have half the people they're going to believe whatever they believe, and the other half is going to be opposed to that. So, I mean, like some of the stuff I didn't really get into, but the things that you can prove is worth, and it. it makes sense. Yeah, and how protective the intelligence agencies were of him, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just kind of explains itself. I mean, Operation Mockingbird, uh, media supporting him. Hello, I yep. mean, yeah. <laughs> It's quite clear uh, what's going on here, but I'm laying this out to say, okay, if we look at, just say this is true, which I believe I wouldn't be presenting it if I didn't think it was some truth to it. Um, then we have to look at him totally different and how he was presented to us uh, as that way. Cause we talked about infiltration and in all of the black uh, established groups or groups that were established to so-called uh, represent black people. Mm-hmm. So he's like a one-man entity, right? He's a one-man organization. He, like, he just, he was so polarizing that he drew people around him. And it's like, now he, he has this huge protectorate, I mean, uh, huge um, protect, realm of protection around him that he was bulletproof. Yes. And, and he, they he, could use him to push any agenda that they wanted to. Um, yes. Without any question. And uh, I think David Axelrod had a big role in this. That was his one of his campaign yes. managers. Yep. And, Dick Durbin. Yes, Dick Durbin. And, and also John Brennan. I mean, John Brennan was, uh, you know, he was kind of Obama's shadow guy, you know, always from very early on. Yeah. And, and Dick the Durbin the is the one, and Dick Durbin's the one that told, by his admission, uh, I didn't want to bloat the clip list too much, but just for this one little factoid, but he tells the story of, yeah, I, I told Barry after the speech that he gave, you're going to run for president or you need to run for president. Right. It's like, it's like uh-huh. he was like told. <laughs> and when you start to hear how his path was laid out for him, oh, yeah. um, going to this certain district and, you know, it's just like it was everything was laid out it was for him to be where he was at when the, he was there the path was paved and uh, people got pushed out of the way quite harshly here and there yes and and i have the stories 
I support I, that. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, uh, but let's wrap up with the CIA narrative with the second um, 15. In the 1960s, Obama's father had been selected by the leader of Kenyan African National Union, Tom Mboya, to receive scholarship and be airlifted to the University of Hawaii. CIA files indicate that Mboya was an important agent of influence for the agency. The airlift was a CIA operation to train future agents of influence in Africa, which was a battleground between the U.S., the Soviet Union, and China for influence. As a Kenyan student in the University of Hawaii, Obama's father, who was already married and had a child with another on the way in Kenya, met Obama's mother, Ann Dunham, in a Russian class in Hawaii. This meeting eventually hmm. led to their marriage. Barack Obama's mother, Dunham, was divorced when his son was four. She married Lolo Satoro after meeting him at the East-West Center at the University of Hawaii, the center affiliated with CIA activities in the Asia-Pacific region. She worked for Tim Geithner's father, Peter, at the Ford Foundation, widely believed to be a CIA front. Now, Matson is questioning that if Barack Obama, as is suspected, was subjected to the CIA project, either by brainwashing or being part of it, then it'll become problematic for an American president. He says if Obama has been brainwashed, then he can be controlled. And if he was simply part of this project, then he can be bribed. <laughs> I like hearing Tim Geithner in there, who later returned as the Secretary of the Treasury, I believe. Yes, uh, they were childhood friends. Mm-hmm. Now, how Gee. that just works out. What are the chances? <laughs> What's the chances and that Tim, your childhood Tim friend Ge- just is qualified Tim, to yeah, be? <laughs> Tim Geithner could not be more white bread. I mean, that's a total dweeby douche. So he was out there, there's too. Two, huh? Interesting. There's two points that were made here. Um, one, there was his parents met in a Russian class. Yeah, that now, was cool. They have a Kenyan <laughs> in Hawaii, all the way from Kenya to Hawaii. Oh, huh, I think I'll study just, Russian. <laughs> That's great. Why were they studying Russian for? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Could that, you know, could that have some Marxist slash communist undertones with it possible um, very possible could his could his mother be a honey pot you Ooh. know that was put into those classes to see who she could uh net in you know i mean you have to ask these questions when you know how these organizations work well also the, um, the east west exchange i'm just looking through some old cia documents uh was yeah. an exchange program between the united states and the ussr uh, so that that makes sense why she would be uh, in a Russian class, right? And at the East West the East West Center in uh, Hawaii. Yes, with this key figure from Kenya. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> it all fits. I, I this part I didn't know. This is good. I like the East West Center stuff. That's good. I see Homeland. I know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> it's really quite accurate. Surprisingly accurate. Yes. <laughs> Carrie does anything to get the job done. That's well, right. Um, uh, um, so you have Mr. Barack Obama Sr. Oh, uh, one more thing. The Ford Foundation. Yeah. Uh, which that comes up several times as some kind of CIA connected uh, organization or, or entity. So, um, as a as an aside, the Ford. I was just doing some research today on uh, Garza and uh, what's her name, Ometi, the uh, the other two yes. Black Lives Matter uh, co-founders, Ometi and uh, Colors. Not Colors. Colors of our. I'm done with Colors. Colors is the magnet. Are you? Yeah, but okay. I, I went further into Gar- Garza. Garza, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Alicia. Yeah. Alicia Garza. Heavy, heavy funding from the Ford Foundation in a, in a whole bunch of different nonprofits. And we're talking millions. Really, really interesting. interesting. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, you get me started, Mo, and I just go off and do my own homework just for myself. I mean, that's instead of watching TV, I'm like, oh, let me investigate this. <laughs> Now you see what uh, how <laughs> I know you got you got rabbit fever. <laughs> I know I know I, I know the fever. I know it. Uh, so Barack Obama Senior, this mysterious character, this kind of used and uh, painted to however way they want to paint him. Uh, they wrote this interesting book on him. Uh, and I think this was during the sec during the first term. Mm-hmm. But they give some background that where there was none on, on Barack, Obama, uh, Barack Obama Sr. Uh, and this is uh, CNN, the other Barack Obama. He was part of Africa's independence generation and a brilliant economist. Yet he was also a polygamist and an alcoholic who ended up becoming the father of an American president. Barack Obama Sr. has been somewhat of a mystery to most, even to his own son, President Obama. But biographer Sally Jacobs did the research and discovered unbelievable information about a man who lived a rather complicated life. Here to discuss her book, The Other Barack, The Bold and Reckless Life of President Obama's Father, is Sally Jacobs. Sally, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, first question to you, what inspired you to look into the life of Barack Obama Sr.? Well, clearly there was not a great deal known about him. Um, as the campaign went on, it seemed that this was a person that we needed to know more about. There was a fair amount of information out there, public, about the president, would-be president's mother, but the father was an unclear figure. Oh, Okay. I'm, so, looking, I'm looking uh, up this author, by the way. I want to see what her yes, deal is. Yes, please do, because Sa- Sally <laughs> sounds like a spook. Sally, <laughs> Sally does sound like she's in the basement there uh, tapping up some books for the, for the agency. Okay. Yeah, um, but the disdain they have for Mr. Barack Obama Sr. is going to be even more. He's an alcoholic and a polygamist. Right, right, um, right. right. It, it, she basically read the Amazon review. I just looked at it. <laughs> that's exactly what it I says. Wanna, I, I want to ask this question. And in, in this, you're going to see how much disdain. This is this is what you would call Karens. Two Karens. I hate to use that term, but it, it's kind of fitting here. Watch how they tear down Barack Obama Sr. Uh, first leading off with, he's a polygamist and an alcoholic, right? Right. <laughs> This is a question I always had. What is the difference between a polygamist and somebody in a polyamory, polyamorous, polyamorous, polyamorous relationship? And why is one acceptable than the other? But I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. But they notice if you could spin this, if he was a favorable character, they could say, oh, he was in a um, uh, how you say that word again? Polyamorous, polyamorous, he was in a polyamorous they, they, they would yeah. say this. They would say he was in a polyamorous relationship, and he often struggled, battled with uh, 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 substance abuse. Right. See how they paint. You see how the media <laughs> paints things. It's yeah, like, oh, if it's, that is. If it's, uh, that's so go good. Ahead. Well, I'm just looking up. Just looking up some terms here. So polyamory, uh-huh. many, several, and amor, love, practice of or desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner. Okay, now let's look up polygamy. Just make sure we see the practice custom of having more than, oh, that's really the marriage part. Okay, so. Which they have marriage. They have, uh, 
marriages now with uh yeah sure. polyamorous marriages sure and i just i mean this like i said i know i'm going off these but i'm just want to address these things that we come across them that if it's centered with the man it's wrong <laughs> but well, if well, a oh, woman says no. she wants two husbands <laughs> that's oh, okay that's always good oh <laughs> always a winner I just don't think it's very accepting of them to, to cast this man in this way. <laughs> uh, yes. They should check their damn privilege is what they should do. Right. They yes. should really they check really their privileges. Should. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's continue on with um, Bash and Barack. Uh, you mentioned in your book that there was a, a chance and actually some evidence that uh, that he actually wanted to put his son, uh, now President Obama, up for adoption. Uh, what can you tell us about that? What I found is that uh, in his immigration document, there is a memo in which Obama Sr. tells the foreign student advisor at the University of Hawaii, where he was enrolled, that his wife, Ann Dunham, was making arrangements with the Salvation Army to put their baby up for adoption. The baby was unborn at the time. Did they actually do that? It's unclear. Um, Ann Dunham had every reason to do it. She was 18 years old. Uh, she was having a mixed-race baby at a time that intermarriage was very rare. Um, um, on the other hand, it didn't seem to be the kind of thing she would do. She took her responsibility seriously. Obama Sr. had every reason to put the baby up for adoption. At the time, he was uh, renewing his visa or hoping to. If immigration officials saw him as a polygamist with a mixed-race baby, that might not have been the best profile to put forward. Mm -hmm. Yet family members uh, have said that they, they don't believe there was ever any evidence or any thoughts about putting uh, Barack Obama up for adoption. Um, but do you believe that they were actually considering it, given the the evidence that you've seen? I think it's more likely that Obama Sr. Um, told them that to make them think that the baby was going to vanish. Uh, it gave a cleaner profile for him to immigration officials. The only thing I do wonder about is that he said the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army did have a maternity home in Honolulu. Uh, it's interesting to me that he mentioned that. Maybe they talked about it, uh, didn't go ahead with it. I, I don't think they made arrangements mm -hmm. to actually do it, though. Hmm. Hmm. You see how they gave the mom a pass? Oh yeah. <laughs> and man, oh, it's you know, <coughs> pay attention she did to the everything Batman. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Batman Black. I yeah. mean, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So, By the way, um, this uh, this uh, Sally H. Jacobs. This is the only book she ever wrote. Yeah, Sally. That's the only book yeah, she wrote. Sally. She hadn't written any other books. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But she's a, a touted reporter. Mm -hmm. this, oh, this, yeah. this smacks of a hit piece, and it it's. Does. He's not like his father, and to illustrate, I know people are like man, Mo, you're kind of reaching there. It's that you're gonna hurt yourself. You're you're reaching. No, you're reaching. Yeah, I mean, you're reaching right up in my field here. I'm loving the reach. <laughs> well, listen to this next clip, uh, part three. Uh, he speaks uh, so so sweetly about uh, his mother. Uh, do you think if he was raised by his father, he would be president today? You know, this is certainly speculative myself. I think it would be unlikely. Obama Sr. was a very brilliant uh, and brave person in some respects. He was extremely self-destructive also. Um, I think he wasn't a very nurturing person uh, and was rather self-absorbed. I think Obama Jr. might have chosen a very different life, would be a different person in many respects, if he'd grown up with that kind of a paternal figure. Oh, jeez. Huh. 
Did you hear that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you? Hear Excuse me. Please Give his check dad your, raised him. <laughs> please check your female privilege there. Holy crap! Oh man. If his dad, that's a hell of a question. That, if if his dad raised him, he would. Do suck. you think he would have been POTUS? No, nah, I don't think nah, he. No, nah, no, nah, nah, not at all. all. No, Even all though his dad came from Kenya, yeah. to come all the way to Harvard <laughs> by way of Hawaii, you yeah. know, saying basically pulled himself up by his bootstraps. I mean, that's the way the story is written. Nah, he nah. So this must have been Stanley's business. It's Stanley, it's all it's all Stanley, and and you heard she said he writes lovingly of, of Stanley. Um, so but dad not so much. Uh, I guess let's just go ahead and let they're gonna finish him off. Uh, let let's finish bashing Barack. Anything positive? Anything redeeming about uh, Obama oh, Senior? Absolutely. For starters, he was hugely successful in one sense. He made it from a very poor, uh, simple childhood in Western Africa to Harvard. You know, he was really a brilliant economist. Uh, also, his story was deeply entwined with that of Kenya of the moment. Uh, he was a fierce advocate for the African people. Uh, he was not happy with the way the government was going, and he spoke out very boldly against the administration of Jomo Kenyatta. He did not feel that the little man was getting his fair due, and Obama Sr. was very courageous about that uh, at some personal risk. And just very quickly, what do you think uh, President Obama will think of this book of yours about his father? I think he'll find a lot that he didn't know in it. I cannot imagine it would be a very easy book to read, but I think any child who doesn't know their parent might want to know the true story about him. That's my hope. Wow. Wow. That, what, a, what a great move. <laughs> what a great move. Don't look over here. This is dead end. Any redeemable qualities? No. That's what she said about the man. Well, he like, was a brilliant economist. I will. They keep reminding us. Brilliant. He was truly a brilliant economist. But obviously, you know, he was so brilliant that he was just a total loser and a failure. And he was a rabble rouser. So that's always good. If you, yeah, if you want to uh, stir up trouble in Kenya, so that yep. they're all for that. Um, <laughs> but then she says, "Will he?" You know, what would you think of what would Barack Obama um, think about the book about his father? And she said, I think he'll find a lot of surprises, which that surprised me because if I'm the way the narrative went, Barack Obama wrote a tell all book uh, about about his his father. Yeah. The dreams from my father. So I would think he would have more information than Sally. Unless Sally has some resources. (laughs) (laughs) Some resources (laughs) that we are not aware of. (laughs) Right. Barack don't have the files that she does. Um, according to Gordon Hurt. And speaking of that book, we have uh, Barack um, reading from the dreams of my, uh, excuse me, dreams from my father. There was only one problem. My father was missing and nothing that my mother or grandparents could tell me could obviate that single unassailable fact. Their stories didn't tell me why he had left. They couldn't describe what it might have been like had he stayed. Like the janitor, Mr. Reed, or the black girl who churned up dust as she raced down a Texas road. My father became a prop in someone else's narrative. An attractive prop. <laughs> the alien figure with the heart of gold. The mysterious stranger who saves the town and wins the girl. But a prop, nonetheless. Wow, some honesty there. <laughs> but a prop, nonetheless. Wow, <laughs> wow. That's brutally honest, really. <laughs> brutally honest. Huh. Uh... In context, great to hear that. So we hear, we've seen his dad get bashed. Now let's listen to, in comparison, how they lavish praise on Ann Dunham. 
We are back and now to our occasional series of reports on the presidential candidate's families. Looking tonight at Senator Barack Obama, who's made his life story and his upbringing a part of his campaign. He's written and spoken openly about the mother who raised him, the father who left him, both of whom, of course, left behind a big impression. NBC's Lee Cowan has our report tonight on family ties. I have not had uh, my parents now for uh, over a decade. The beginning of Barack Obama's improbable journey began with an improbable union. An African man named Barack and a white Kenzan named Stanley Ann wed at the dawn of the 60s when interracial marriages were still illegal in many places. It lasted, though, just three short years and their lives not much longer. Obama's father was killed in a car accident in Africa in 1982. His mother, stricken with ovarian cancer, died in 1995. It would be wonderful to have the counsel of, uh, of parents. It would be wonderful to be able to admit mistakes uh, or just get some encouragement. Instead, he has to rely on what they left him, and each left him something very different. Obama's father abandoned him at age two. He left first for Harvard and eventually returned to his native Kenya. To this day, the elder Barack remains an example for the younger, but of how not to live. <laughs> wow! Still, still bashing dad. <laughs> that story was set, man. That's beautiful. That 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 narrative was crafted, creative, posted on on uh, Wikipedia, and good to go. Now, Adam, ask me why that narrative was set that way. You know, Mo, I'd like to ask you why. Why did they put set the narrative that way? So he could identify. Well, so black males could identify with him. I'm not having a father. So white single mothers could identify with him, with his mother, uh, um, and with him. Makes you know what I'm saying. Yeah, makes him also you know a little less scary. Yeah, relatable and not. Relatable. Calm down. He's a he's a black man, Sorry, but he was relatable. raised in the comfort yes. Yes. of white of, of white society. So <laughs> that anger you don't have to worry about. He he's he's all right. He's okay. And at the same time, they had to paint him as a poor black kid from Chicago. Like I said, this the product of Barack Obama. I like I like the poor black kid from Chicago bit. That's the funniest one. <laughs> when I was on the south the, side. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the that's the uh, they tried to do it with the same thing with Kamala Harris, right? Being from Oakland, she's yeah. from Oakland. Like <laughs> yeah, I brought that sure. up, like yeah. nah, she's not from Oakland, maybe, but not the Oakland like you're using that term. No, so no. it's the same thing. It's like she's uh, not Kamala that, from the block in Oakland, right? So you see how they're setting this up that it's um and and is the good and Brock is bad and he's a single product of a single parent home grew up on the south side of chicago with a white mom yeah uh i mean this this is the narrative if you ask people that are not studied on barack obama they say oh he's from chicago it's like not <laughs> kansas yeah. not uh not these other places yeah, uh, his, hawaii his roots kansas are, yeah exactly his roots are actually he's to be honest if i if i looking at his roots coming from his mom's side he's a part of the he's a white supremacist yeah, Obama's got a lot of lot of rich royal blood in them veins, and, and he's uh like fourteen cousins with uh Dick Cheney. So obviously, I'm mean, okay. Black child, but not from lineage of slavery. Mom named Stanley. His name's Hussein. Who's got a cousin that's going to be vice president one day, and he's 
lucky enough to make president. That was, uh, and you know, the Bushes is this, eight is years this old. a great country or what, Mo? Oh man, look at what's possible. It's crazy. I, I'm taking the under on that. I mean, as far as uh, the happen, uh, that happening, it's just out of uh, Way under, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so let's continue with the NBC. Uh, nothing traditional. I watch myself for some of the things that I know ended up hurting him. Uh, too much pride, uh, an inability to listen to other people. Th- th- those are things that I guard against in myself. But in that fatherless void stood his young mother, who remained more influential than anyone. Yeah, for example, when Brian Williams showed him on the cover of Newsweek for the very first time, the senator's reaction was not about himself. You know, it makes me think of my mom and, uh, and the fact that you know, she's not around. We're all Obamacans. Obama's half-sister, Maya, remembers that there was little traditional about their mother. I think it is interesting to look at the patterns, how our mother started in the Midwest and ended up in Indonesia, and how he uh, started in Hawaii, in essence, and, and returned to the Midwest. Remember that? Uh-huh. And friends who knew <laughs> so Stanley Ann early school. see her in him so, all the time. The passion he brings, I think, uh, a lot of that's something he learned from his mother's knee. Lessons that stuck when he needed them most. When I was writing that speech uh, on race, I'm the son of a black man from Kenya and a white woman from Kansas. Her memory loomed over me. Is this, is this something that she would trust? A reality check he still seeks. You know, at night, if I'm saying a prayer, uh, you know, I send out maybe a message to my mother and hopefully she's somewhere and can hear it you know of course without without mo facts uh, i never would have caught what was going on here this was totally shaping him to be completely relatable to the black man as well i mean just by uh the, the the parental situation and then totally pushing all of that towards how great his mom was i mean solidifying the matriarchal structure this genius. What I always say about our community, it's a matriarchy. Yes. <laughs> it's not a patriarchy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. to get to get black women to buy in, they had to relate to them to them on the single parent level. Issue, sure. And, and we even heard on a previous show, Michelle Obama referred to herself as a single mother at yeah. one point. So <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> I mean so uh... that's <laughs> They're pushing that narrative of uh, single mother, single child. I happen to have and if that. If you want to get into esoteric, that, you I happen to have, have that <laughs> clip if you want to hear Flo to say it for a second. Please, please. We're looking at new models of getting farmers markets to, uh, you know, create buses and drive into communities that are underserved. So we have to deal with the question of access. And believe me, as a busy single mother, uh, or I should say single, as a busy mother. Whoops. <laughs> it's the narrative. And yeah. they, like, they know the narrative they're pushing. And yeah, they're it's in the back of her mind. And the truth just came out. Oh, crap. Wasn't yeah. Supposed to say that, yeah, exactly. So I found some video from the Ann Dunham so Serato uh, Endowment Fund, and oh. I just thought it'd be interesting just to hear a little little take on that. 
Our mother was a scholar and she believed very much in learning from books and she could spend hours in a library, but she also believed in learning from people who are committed to honing their craft, from people who uh, walk in the streets and she felt like the whole world was a classroom. When Anne Dunham Soitoro applied for her PhD in anthropology at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, she had already invested significant time and energy to improve the quality of life for craftspeople in rural Indonesia. In the introduction to her dissertation, is what I found a very interesting statement. She said, this work is the result of 14 years of research in Java. And it was perfectly true. She knew that place inside out. Anne was driven by the desire to partner with others to create lasting change. While working at the Ford Foundation and the United States Agency for International Development, she collaborated closely <laughs> with a range of non-governmental organizations to support programs addressing women and poverty. USAID is uh, is the big tip off the Ford Foundation of course <laughs> but the USAID is that is the United States uh, uh international aid division uh and that's that's where we we fund non-governmental organizations in countries from that who are there of course sending back intelligence that is that's the fund that's the one you want the money from and um his mother reminds me a lot of, and her name slips my mind just that fast. Uh, wrote for Sixteen Magazine. Ah, uh, what is her name? It'll, it'll come to me. Okay. Um, big time feminist in the sixties. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, of course. Um, the, the CIA woman. Uh, we both know her name. Was it <laughs> Anita Bryant? No, no. It was the other one. It was uh, Gloria Steinem. That's it. Yes. <laughs> His mom gives me the Gloria Steinem vibe. Oh, yeah. I can see that. You Absolutely. Remember and when she, the CIA came to her and was like, can you write for our Oh, magazine? yeah. I know Gloria uh, Steinem was... T- and then the age makes sense. Oh, yeah, right so. on. Right on. Good. Uh, Gloria Steinem, absolutely known. She was a CIA agent. She admits it. Or agent. You know, yeah. She was operative. She did stuff for them. Yeah. So we're fast forwarding from his childhood. I mean, we know about we went through how he was raised by in Indonesia and Kansas. And we fast forward to him going to college. And at Harvard, we have an eyewitness account from Dr. Randy Short, which we played some clips from him before. And I like to call him Dr. Messi because he always (laughs) he always gives us something more even further than what you would expect from him. Uh, with his uh, shocking insight uh, on Obama at Harvard, and, yeah. but I think he was placed here. I don't think sure, we. I don't think sure, we elected sure, him. I think. I think sure he was, was selected. And he then, was selected. Yes. And, and 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 I saw him being selected twenty nine years ago, walking through the law school wow. on a weekend. How Obama uh, manipulated the white students to make him head of the Harvard Law Review well, you in exchange, exchange for him to stab all the black students in the back. And I happened to stumble into a meeting of the Federalist Society. And what I heard was a man saying how much he hated black people and how black people were stupid and how they were despicable and how he could control them and he knew how they felt about him. And I was listening to this person, and I'm telling you, my spirit of discernment was a black man about six foot, six one, bisexual, biracial. So I walked quickly through the Harkness Common, which is a student union at the law school, and saw Obama. 
the audience turned and looked at me. We looked at each other. I was so angry at the stuff he said about black folks. But I realized, wow, I'm outnumbered. This, what, what difference did that make? So I stormed out the building, and I asked some people, who's the mulatto in there? He lies like uh, Richard Nixon on crack. He's going to be president. <laughs> Who is that? And that's where I heard the name Obama. And, and that if he were made head of the Harvard Law Review, he would keep the blacks in check for the most ultra-conservative agenda, whatever they wanted to do. He said because black people would look at him and they trust him, although he wasn't one of them. Wow. He's a, so this is a, who is Randy? He's a radio guy, right? Randy Short? Dr. Yeah, no, Randy Dr. Short? Randy Short, he was a, he's a doctor, and he's the one that uh, broke the news on our show about the Depp Vera shot. Oh, yes. Harming okay. black women. Right, right. So, he, right, I mean, he, right, he's right, a, right. you know, he's a, um, consider, you know, a, a valuable resource in the, in the quote-unquote black con- uh, conscious community or black uh Non mainstream community. Of I media. like I like conscious community. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, so Randy here, he gives a a statement on Barack Obama, and I'm just gonna take it on face value. I'm not gonna say. I'm, I mean, I don't have no reason not to believe him, but that's a very <laughs> inflammatory statement. But it aligns with his membership in Skull and Bones, mm-hmm. which you you said before about him being a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. Well, the Skull and Bones is the preeminent. <laughs> it's the club. White supre- it, it's by, the club. By the definition that we use of white supremacy, it is the club. Uh, and for he's not in the black man's Skull and Bones, which we call the boule. Um, he's actually in. It yeah, he's it. actually in the Skull and Bones. Yeah. The, uh, the, so the Illuminati, to, <laughs> the Illuminati version. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we had to. He has to have some understandings of how this world has to work <laughs> oh, yeah. to be in to be in that group. Uh, so I think he. This is why he's such a moderate because on one side he's been pulled in one direction to the right, but then to maintain his cover or maintain his credibility, he has to level himself off by the left mm-hmm. and that's the reason why i think he chose chicago as his home one of the blackest cities in america outside of detroit maybe washington dc um his wife has strong roots in the in the community her father has strong roots in the community so it just made sense and then he needs to like start building up on those credentials you have Oprah there. I don't know how connected they well, were, also, how long the connection goes back, was, but it is a connection. I think there was a path. You know, there were people there who saw a pathway within the in the state government that would be a pathway for Obama. To be yeah, because I mean, the Democrats pretty much run Chicago. We said this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the p- kind of power they have, so pretty much whoever they want to win certain elections, they can give them the win. <laughs> but he <laughs> needs Lori Lightfoot. I mean, that just proves it, doesn't it? yeah so i think he had to ingrain himself in chicago society and that brings him to reverend wright's church yes the angels in heaven were singing god the controversy started with words spoken by the reverend jeremiah wright in his sermons in one of them he blames america for a long history of military policies that he says caused the september 11th 2001 terrorist attacks we bombed hiroshima we bombed nagasaki and we nuked far more than the thousands in new york and the pentagon and we never batted an eye 
Most Americans would not normally have heard about these sermons without Reverend Wright's connection to Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama. Wright is the retired pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ, where Obama is a member. Obama has called Wright his spiritual mentor and the man who brought him to Christ. But once the fiery pulpit remarks were made public in March and widely disseminated on the Internet, Obama condemned them. In a speech, he called Wright's view of the U.S. profoundly distorted. Reverend Wright commented on that Monday. Politicians say what they say and do what they do based on electability, based on sound bites, based on polls. Wright says the black church is invisible and misunderstood by what he called the dominant culture meaning white America. I said this is not an attack on Jeremiah Wright. It has nothing to do with Senator Obama. It is an attack on the black church launched by people who know nothing about the African-American religious tradition. <laughs> this, um, I think this, this, this uh, revelation was one of the first mm-hmm. videos, I believe, to kind of go what we then wouldn't have even known what to call it, but viral on YouTube. And that's why it had to oh, be yeah. addressed. I mean, of course, there were some media outlets playing it, questioning it. I think they already were prepared for it, but people had questions. And so they had to build something around that and uh, smother this, I guess. And with the Reverend Wright situation, this was that fear of the angry black man again. It's like, oh, that's, this is the kind of preacher he's sitting <laughs> That's, yes, now I get the angry black man bit. Yeah, that that scared people. The, the way Wright was talking yeah, that scared people. So I'm I'm just saying, so two things he said there. One, he said that people don't understand the black church. When I heard this, I was like, eh, I heard that before. I mean, it, it wasn't shocking to me. Um, I think this is part of why people congregate the way they do, uh, because certain truths are certain things that are perceived to be true by that community can be voiced without uh repercussion right it's like okay when i went in church right. looking around okay it's so nothing with black people all right now <laughs> now, now we can talk like all right now we can go it's the, it's the barbershop effect the same thing right you can look around like oh okay now we can really let loose so when he said that it didn't really i'm like it's nothing i've never heard before i mean from I mean, coming from uh that type of preacher because they're not every preacher is like that but you have those fire and brimstone uh, people that bring that kind of narrative. Sure. What I want to do is, and this is all we can do it on shows like this. I want to listen to Reverend Wright's comments because all you heard was "Goddamn America." Right. And, you know, yeah. no, we never, never, we never really saw the full thing unless you know, you, you know, even YouTube was was clipped just to say the horrible things. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, right. that's why we have a podcast so we can roll it all out. So I want to hear this almost a minute and 30 minute portion of that sermon in context so you can hear what he was actually saying. And the United States of America government, when it came to treating her citizens of Indian descent fairly, she failed. She put them on reservations. When it came to treating her citizens of Japanese descent fairly, she failed. She put them in internment prison camps. When it came to treating the citizens of African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters. 
put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating her citizens as less than human. God damn America as long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that puts his statement into context. He just didn't come out the bat saying "Goddamn America." No, this and is, I would have clipped like, it longer, uh, but this is like fine yeah, people on fine people on both sides. I mean, if you only see a, a little bit and you don't get the whole context, of everything that was said, then you really miss out on what he was saying. Which obviously, how can you disagree with 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 up until he starts "Goddamn America"? But even that makes sense in context. But in the in the full context, because I didn't want to make it a three minute clip. What he was saying was, by the standard of the Bible, all of these uh, kingdoms in the Bible that didn't do the people right, God took damn them, right? God damn them, yes. And and, in the literal term, he like fire and brimstone, you know, (laughs) um, pillar of salt, wipe them out the face of the earth. This is really telling. And I I wanted to add to that. He was reading that. Uh, I heard him do a prompter flub twice. Yeah. Yeah, instead I'm of, sure he. I'm sure he goes off of off of a, a prompter all the time. But I, but but, I didn't. But I mean, it's not yeah. like he's just a, a, a fiery preacher who comes out of his, you know, straight from God to his to his mouth. But he was reading it. Right. But um, it's kind of it's kind of sad. I mean, there comes the angry black man bit. I guess because what he's saying was <laughs> is is a total is totally on message for what what you know what we've discussed and what we see is the problem. But it's he, he had to go. He was the he was you know what he had to be sacrificed. He was he was probably he was probably seen as an asset who would really help. And somehow it, and I'm just going to go out on a limb. Maybe Fox News or one of these outfits just started slamming the crap out of the goddamn America, goddamn America, and that became the narrative. And he had to go. Then he had to go. Then he had to, like, you got to go. Sorry. Obama even came yeah, to his, to his uh, defense a little bit in the beginning, if I recall. He did until it got too hot. Right. And then I'm sure the Democratic <laughs> Party was like, hey, uh-huh. you got to let him. Yeah. You got to let him go. Yeah. Um, but Barack Obama wouldn't be the person that he was politically if he wasn't anchored by that same church in Chicago. So it's like, it gives in one hand, it takes in the other. How did he do that? Reverend Wright. What's that? How did he do that? How did he, how did he, what happened to Reverend Wright? Did he just melt away into the background? Yeah. He, I mean, once nobody's above Barack Obama. So once he was bad for Barack Obama, (laughs) he was bad for black people and he, he was cast away. Now, Reverend Wright has some interesting uh, background himself. Because he was like a nurse or something for one of the presidents or something. So it's like when you hear this man um, hmm. talk, if you want to look that up, it's on, I think it's on his wiki page. But um, when you hear this man talk about goddamn America, it's not like he's uh, some uh, 
person that hates America or never believed in it. I think when black men get to a certain age, they get you no know, disillusion. Like when I put all my energy into being a good, like the man was saying that the fear of the angry black man, like we did everything right. And you say you, you to be a man, you got to keep your word. You said yeah. it's an equal country. What's the problem? Right. Right. But, but yeah, Reverend Wright has government. He was in the military and he, there's a picture of him and one of the presidents. I can't. Well, he actually, maybe. he actually served three presidents. He okay, served, with three. Uh, I know there was one for sure, but I, yeah, I'll, John, I'll, Johnson, he served Johnson. That's the nurse part. Yep. And uh, he also um, worked with Bill Clinton, of course. But they made him seem like this Farrakhan figure. Uh, <laughs> wow. And, you know, oh, that's so interesting. I, I, In my mind, I had written Jared, Reverend Jeremiah. First of all, Reverend. So, you know, yes. we don't, you know, we well, know where he's coming from. <laughs> we know, we know, we know, we know he knows what side the bread's buttered on. If I don't mind me saying They always that. give me a biscuit on my birthday. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, but can't, can't deny that message. The message was right. I mean, it would, I bet I'm, I'm more convinced now than ever that he was supposed to be a part of it and just screwed up, had to go. Yes, but this is Barack going back to the right. Like I said, he had to walk the center line. Yeah. And it's, you got the Reverend Ayers, I mean, not Mr. Reverend Ayers, but the uh, Bill Ayers thing right. floating around, yeah. I mean, the all weather, out in the, the ether. And then, yeah, yeah this, and now you got this angry Farrakhan type preacher saying, God damn America. It's like, hey, 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 like, slow it down. Bro. Yeah. You need to write a speech and, and smooth <laughs> things over. Well, not write one. Um, you need to read one. Yeah, well, read one. Um, <laughs> uh, so Barack Obama, I mean, excuse me, we have a clip of Larry Elders. He's talking about this sweet path that was laid out for Barack Obama. I mean, we got to consider Larry Elders. He's a conservative. So, I mean, obviously he has an obvious bone to pick with Barack Obama. But I think this is a fair this is a fair assessment of how things were laid out for um, Barry. Obama misled Americans for his own political benefit. David Axelrod writes in his new book, I'm just not very good at bull****, Obama told Axelrod. Axelrod writes that he knew Obama was in favor of same-sex marriage. Axelrod admits to counseling Obama to conceal his position for political reasons, end of quote. <laughs> Let's get back to it. So Obama then moves to Chicago. Not from there. He joined the Trinity Church because of the, his desire for political connections. And he decides to run for state senate because the incumbent decided to run for another office. She changes her mind, decides to keep her office. Obama says, I'm sorry, I'm staying in the race. Obama then challenged all the signatures he had to file to run for re-election and essentially got her kicked off the ballot. So Obama won without any opposition. <laughs> then Obama decides to challenge Bobby Rush for Congress. He primaries him. And Bobby Rush, the former Black Panther, kicks Obama's butt. How and why? Because he characterizes Obama as not truly black, from Harvard, taught at University of Chicago, carpetbagger, not really from <laughs> Chicago, yeah. doesn't really understand the culture, yada, blah, et cetera. Obama even complained about it. So what did Obama do when he got his butt kicked? He redesigned his state senate district to make it more white, more affluent, more Jewish, less black, less poor. Explain to me how racism has hurt this man. <laughs> and then he decides to run for U.S. Senate. And he's not likely to win. But little by little by little, scandal and other things knock off the front runners. He runs. <laughs> and he wins. And that was uh, Axelrod. Axelrod brought out all the dirt on his opponents. 
Yeah. And so Axelrod in this uh, gay, uh, hiding his true uh, views on uh, gay rights, that whole Joe Biden coming out first instead of Barack, that was all planned. Because Barack just couldn't, for lack of a better term and no pun intended, just come out the closet, you know what I'm saying, and say, hey, you know what I'm saying, I'm for gay marriages now. So it's like, hey, Joe, <laughs> you go out there, you, you why don't you slip you know, it out, like, slip it out, out me, right? You out me, and then I'm like, what am I gonna do, right? Well, that's Th- that was planned, that, in my opinion. Well, that's that's an interesting take because the way I always saw it was Joe was such a bumbling fool that he he spilled Mm-mm. it accidentally, uh, and and now now that I'm reconsidering this, thank you, I think you're right, and but you know what, they st- Joe still probably wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> They probably no, said, that was like Joe, 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 whatever, Joe. Joe, whatever you do, don't talk about the gay marriage thing. Joe, don't talk about Joe. Do not talk about the gay marriage thing. So Joe talks about the gay marriage thing, and boom, and then Barack was like, "Oh well, you know, yeah, you know, we were good. and all the legislation was ready. They had everything good to go." Yeah, and it was real, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. And go. I'm going to agree with and you. And it was real touch and go there in that reelection because because half of the it. black church because of it. Yeah, they were it was not. A, it was a. It was a it was a civil war in the black church over Obama. Over the over the uh, same-sex marriage? Yes. Mm. Because it's like, are we really putting Obama above Jesus? I mean, that was the... That was the... Where does he hang in, other co- in the trilogy on the wall? I mean, does he hang above MLK? Does he hang right next no. to Jesus? Well, JFK comes down and Obama goes <laughs> Obama up. Goes you up. Gotta keep, <laughs> yeah, you got to keep MLK and... Uh, Oprah. Uh, Jesus. How about well, Oprah? I mean, that's the well, that's the that's the uh, liberal feminist uh, wall. No, okay, all right. <laughs> on, on the on the general black wall, uh-huh. it's it's still Jesus, MLK, and um, Obama, uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. But that civil war did happen because it's like people that are Bible based yeah, believers. We're not. Like, I don't that. care what you. I don't care what Obama said. Um, but at the same time, it was well we. The second term, you know, we got to get the second term. <laughs> this is really, when, this is when he's going to, we didn't come this far. You know what I'm saying? Uh, keep, keep your eyes on the prize. Uh, yeah. Sh- so, keep going. Push, push. Let's go. It's important. He's going to do stuff for us. Yep. And then the, the role laid out for him. I want to say this one thing is I truly believe we saw trading places happen in real life with Barack Obama and uh, Senator Edwards from North Carolina. I truly believe that's the only competition Barack Obama really had. And he really stole his identity. If you really look at this. Really? Uh, yeah. Look at, um, I was not, not Harry, I'm about to say Harry Edwards, not Harry Edwards. My, I'm not off with the names today, but, um, Edwards, he had the perfect hair and he was like the JFK reincarnated, um, reincarnated. But then that story came out. His yeah, wife, John, had John, cancer, Ed, yeah, John Edwards, John Edwards, mm-hmm. they removed John Edwards. Oh yeah. They, they canceled I, him over a haircut. <laughs> Remember that they, yeah, they canceled him over that, but they were looking for anything to get rid of him. Oh yeah, because he, he stood in Barack Obama's way. Yeah, he was a douchebag. Like, he cheated on his wife. He stole campaign funds. Had a three hundred dollar haircut in his airplane on the runway. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They were they went but, after him. But prior to Barack Obama, he was the favorite to mm, be president. Uh, really needed to be. Yeah, yeah. He does have. That he had kind to be eliminated. Of, yeah. He stepped right into his shoes and was like, "Oh yeah, I'm the." 
God for every every American. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I really believe that. Not the reason why I say trading places because that's kind of how the movie went, right? They yep. took the one guy out, white guy out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, yep. put Eddie in, and then they was like, "See, Mortimer, we, we, I proved to you <laughs> one dollar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one dollar. Um, good point. So they talk about the narrative of the gay rights, but this is other narrative that they had to keep running, and that's the slave narrative. Ah, or his connection to slavery. Yes. His legitimacy. When it, hit, when it hit me, because I like okay, I was all for Obama. I saw where the money was coming from, funding him. And I was like, they're not giving him that kind of money if he's going to be a, a real revolutionary type figure. Because all the banks is lined up and saying had the blank checks ready, like whatever you need. And that's when I was like, eh, I don't know about this guy. Uh, and just as a you know, a, a small story was. I was in Chicago actually the day that he won the nomination. Hmm. It was me and my brothers were on a road trip. Huh. And it's just like, I, it's, I have a connection there, right? It's just like I was in Chicago. Sure. When, must, that must have been Barack great. Obama. That must have been a great And moment. we were actually at this little bar and it was like, everybody was just happy. I mm-hmm. mean, I never remember pe- people being, it was a black establishment. So it was just like a sense of pride. So I get how people get sucked in. Um, but, I mean, that's just, I just wanted to say that point, but the slavery net, where it hit me was, I remember when he won, and I woke up the next morning, and I saw a picture of this little old lady, and it said, from slavery to the White House. And I was like, Barack Obama ain't never been no slave. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, but they and weren't talking like, about oh, him. oh, y'all yeah. are nudging me. I yeah. mean, before I knew what a nudge was, but I just felt this, oh, y'all are playing with us. So this whole narrative, and then people start getting hip. Like he's not really one of us. I mean, that's what Bobby Rush was saying, right? And mm-hmm. um, when he ran against him, he's not really one of us. So there was this concerted effort to keep Barack Obama tied to slavery. Yes. And if they couldn't do it through him, they did it through Michelle. This morning, we are learning fascinating details of Michelle Obama's roots. Today's New York Times traces her family's five-generation path from slavery to the White House. Uh, we're joined this morning by genealogist Megan Smolenyak, who uncovered Mrs. Obama's family tree. Good morning. Oh, Good morning. Oh this, is, this is almost like a mystery. We, we knew for certain that on her father's side of the family, that the, traced back to slavery, but there were rumors about on her mother's side. How did you make the connection, and who was the key person? Well, I'll tell you, I worked back methodically generation by generation, but of all her ancestors, the one who called to me the most loudly was one named Melvinia. Mm-hmm who was a great, great, great grandmother. Right. And she was just fascinating. For example, I found a codicil on her from 1850 where she's first mentioned she's only six years old. Right. And in that document, her first owner, a fellow by the name of David Patterson, is leaving her to his wife when he passes away. There it is. I mean, there is the actual will and testament. Yes, and yes. this little girl is named. She's six years old. Yeah. She's also listed in another. I mean, it is listed as a piece of property. What right. is her value? Four hundred and Oh, man. Wow, they got it all. That's fantastic. From $475 to $500 million. Yep. Property, she's property. But nobody questioned Michelle's uh, lineage to slavery. I mean, that wasn't a question, so they had to keep digging. Mm -hmm. And then they found a new discovery of Obama's ancestry. 
President Obama's story is well known. His father from Kenya, his mother from the United States. But Ancestry.com says it has mapped out the Obama family tree going back 11 generations with stunning conclusion. Anastasia Harmon is the company's lead family historian. So our conclusion is that President Obama, the first African-American president, is the 11th great-grandson of the first documented enslaved African in what would become the United States. The link is made not from his father's side, but from his mother, Ann Dunham's lineage. She was connected back to a man named John Punch. Records show Punch, who lived in Virginia, had children with a white woman. Those children later became known as the Bunch family. The findings of the two-year study are now posted on the company's website. So how did the research team figure this out? As we're going you know, from President Obama to his mom and grandmother and great-grandmother, you're looking for uh, like birth and marriage and death records, all those kind of records. As we get farther back in time, though, they weren't kept or they've been destroyed over time. The Civil War, a lot of records are destroyed, fires, floods, and things like that. So we start looking at what we call surviving records, church records, land records. And so when we get really far back into like here, John Bunch III, who's born in 1680, he, from here on out, we're looking at land records. University of Maryland history professor Ira Berlin says all of this is perfectly plausible because there was a time when white indentured servants and black slaves freely intermingled. Oh, well, it was before Black Lives Matter. Yeah. <laughs> so the first black president whose son of Stanley, <laughs> named Brock Hussein Obama, yeah. is connected to the first slave ever exactly. in what America. Are the, what are the chances? On his white mama side. Thank you, Ancestry.com. Man, if you don't get out of here with this, it's, <laughs> but it's like we have to tie him. They, they was feeling the pressure. They were feeling they had, the pressure. They had to do to something. Yeah, we got to do it. Got to find something. slavery. Yes. Wow. But the magic wore off. Mm-mm. And even his most ardent supporters uh, became disillusioned with uh, Barack Obama and his whole do-nothing attitude for black people. Mm. And one of those being Michael Eric Dyson. So I have a clip from Michael Eric Dyson then, and then we're going to go and see how he's become dissatisfied and even oh, maybe angry. Okay. Angry black man at, at President Obama. So let's start off with um, uh, 30. We began uh, with Barack Obama's election to believe, many did, that we're living in a post-racial society. Uh, been, been there, done black. Over with it. Um, and what happened, of course, is that Barack Obama, unexpectedly to some, just it, it evoked all of this racial animus and hostility. Uh, you mentioned Dylan Roof, the, the young white man who murdered uh, nine people in that Charleston church. He wrote a kind of crazed manifesto, and in it he said, you people are taking over, basically. I have to do this. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dylan so Roof. that's him whole, then. Whole nother story, Dylan Roof is. Oh, that, that, that. <laughs> Yeah, manifesto of sorts, he wrote. Yes, all convenient. Yeah. So that was Mayor Eric, my, uh, excuse me, Michael Eric Dyson then uh, caping for Obama and you know, explaining away all his um, issues. Issues. Now, let's, uh, where are you at one? 
what people were trying to get Obama to do. It ain't just about legislation. Use your voice. Speak up. Now, I know he's out of office now. I love him. I want him to make as much money as you can, but don't just make money. Make meaning. Speak, sir. You have the bully pulpit of the world before you. You just can't accumulate chips and cash and make money. And I ain't mad at you. Make all the money you want. Make all the money you need. Get your paper. But speak up about Donald Trump. You out of office. When you were in office, we made excuses for you. Oh, my God. He can't talk because they'll outvote him. You ain't got to be voted out of office no more. Where you at? Obama, we love you. I know a lot of black people are going to be mad, but speak up. You feel he needs to do more. Oh, my God. More? What has he done? <laughs> what has he done? Name it. What, is you, what have you done since you've been out of office? You, you spoke up for one politician and said she should be in office. You ain't helped out no black people. You, you, you certainly vote. You undermine the candidacy of Keith Ellison to be head of the Democratic National uh, Committee, right? DNC. And got your man in. I ain't mad. Perez is a good dude, but I'm saying you undermine the black man. So the black man that people suffered for who were black and who said he should be supported undermined the black man. Ain't got nothing to say about it. I know y'all man. Tough. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> What's the word? I mean, this this has got to be a uh, this is this has got to be a common question. What, what you doing, Barack? Why aren't you saying anything? Oh, everybody. I mean, and, and as he only comes out when he's allowed to. I mean, because it's clear, it's, he's told what he can speak on uh, and what he can't speak on. But and then Eric, Michael Eric Dyson did something tricky there. He said, "What have you done?" And then he had to think about like, "Oh, I co-signed his whole uh, eight year uh, <laughs> every every no, part of it." Yeah, right. What have you since done? You what have you done? So, so then he had to qualify it with yeah. the yeah, since, right because he knew. Out. Wait, I, 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 I co-signed him. So, you know what? So I, you can even see. You know what right? I always thought. I always thought that the plan was, this is going to sound weird, um, mm -hmm. there was like a president of the world slot for Obama, and that was, you know, I just take into oh, account. Oh, the UN. The UN theory. Something like that. Yeah. Some, yeah. Something along those lines. I mean, it would have, he was young enough, you know, he was young enough to, to take 10 years, 15 years to, to create something. If Hillary Clinton had become president, uh, we might have actually seen uh, Black Lives Matter turn out very differently. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just look at some of the cities that are in on it. It's obvious now. I mean, you, you don't leave people burning crap down in your city for, for eight weeks. So there was some, I always felt there was some plan. And then uh, Barack Obama, Obama would emerge and, whew, you know, well, outreach his well, arms I, and I'm make gonna, it all well. So you, say, you sound like that has expired. I think that's, and I said it before, I think that's what this whole Joe Biden thing is. Joe Biden is the perfect proxy for Barack Obama yep. to run the country without taking any blame. Right. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with that. But I, I thought it was going to be bigger. I thought it was going to be a bigger thing. Yeah, he can't. I mean, yeah, he, he can't really do that because. No, no. but he's, it, it's, it's, I think people are disillusioned. I mean, like, it's, uh, I, I, people are done with him. It's like he he I mean, he's literally like been canceled for. I mean, to be honest with you, because yeah. the people that got him there, he can't activate them to go vote so what good is he that's it that's all you gotta say yeah. is he can't activate people to vote so he's just no good he's, he's useless you heard how he talked to his last i mean for hillary clinton yeah <laughs> yes. don't clap go vote yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah <laughs> for my legacy to like that yeah right for, for my legacy <laughs> yes for me um but Eric, Michael Eric Dyson, he he didn't stop there. He <laughs> continues on um, 
Where are you, Barack? What's the at reality the core is, of that? What do you think is at the core I mean, of what you see as a, look, a lack of willingness to engage? I mean, that's his personality. That's that Hawaiian to chill out personality. And that's also he's not a he ain't got the same kind of ethos, pathos, pain, hurt and agony that black people have had. I'm not saying he's not black. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he ain't truly black. He is blacker than a lot of black people I know. But he didn't have that existential misery growing up in the same way. He doesn't have the same anger necessarily that black people have uh, that. That, that, that we are outraged by this stuff. He didn't feel it in his gut the same way. I'm not saying he ain't black. He's blacker than black. I've known Obama since 92. One of the blackest dudes I know. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that your being black ain't got nothing to do with the kind of blackness and the kind of experience that you that you had and endured. And so you don't you don't feel driven to speak out. You don't you're not LeBron James who said I'm gonna represent for my neighborhood where I came from, regardless of all the cash I got. And it's time to put the fire under Obama too. You out of office now. All the Negro excuses made for you while you were in office to, 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 for us to say, wait till the second term, he gonna do something. Wait till the last half of the second term, he gonna do something. What'd he do? And I'm saying finally got on the criminal justice reform. Okay. And I'm saying this out of a love for Obama. I know there's some Negro bots out there. There's some Obama bots who can't hear nothing. They just as bad. Let me tell you what, Obama bots are just as bad as these Trump supporters who can't hear criticism. Mm -hmm. If it's your guy, be willing to say, you know what? I love him. I'm a ride with him, ride or die. But that's some stuff he could have done better. Wow. I heard you. you I almost heard you talking there. <laughs> that was really funny. What, what, Eric, what happened is Eric hitched, to, I mean, uh, hitched his uh, wagon to Obama's train. And now the train is not moving no off more. the rails. <laughs> so now it's like, well, where is the most lucrative angle on Obama? And that's questioning him. Where are you? You know, right. we, we, we did all these excuses. And yes, you are saying it. And I'll say it for you. Barack Obama is not black. I will say it. <laughs> there, there you have it. He, he tiptoed around it and he realized he said it. <laughs> then he had to walk it back for the next 15, 20 seconds and say, yeah. well, I'm not saying he's not black. Uh, he's, 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 more black, black. he's more black than black. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's blacker than the back of Forrest Whitaker's neck. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he did that. So he did the same thing Bobby Rush did. But then he's like, uh, right. let me, I went a little too far and had to back it. No, the reason why I said black, he's not black. If you want to say black is a creation of black ink, he didn't hold true to what he was supposed to do. Right. And that's to throw black people either the throw his weight behind their their causes, even if he couldn't get them changed. At least his at least last two make years, an effort. Make an effort. He could have said reparations for every to answer every question. Like, Barack, what you want for lunch? Reparations. I mean, that kind of thing. So <laughs> You're so Even right. You can't You're get so it right. done. You're so, and if he would have left saying the only thing we haven't gotten done yet, America, is this, it would have right. been, it would have been left lingering, and it would have been a question that would have been on everybody's mind. But we know that that's not the way it works. And the only time he talks is when it comes down to voting, and it's just yeah. the same thing. He brought up Barack Obama, Eric Dyson brought up um, LeBron James. It's the same thing. They are funded by the same group of people. That you can speak on what we allow you to speak on, yep. but China, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> reparations, no. no. Uh, if you want to talk about putting silly names on back of jerseys or whatever, go go for it. Uh, right. Voting, go for it. But other things, no. So they're 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 owned in a sense. I mean, I mean, it's no no easy way to put it. And 
to say, and now let me let me flesh out what I'm saying, because I don't sound like Michael Eric Dyson back backpedaling on if he's black or not. And then if you want to say, remember the two definitions of black we laid out uh, 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 on the last show? Yep. If you're talking about lineage, he's not black. Right. It's he not. is not. You're not ADOS, which that is synonymous with black, which they stretched it out to mean whatever they want to now with these two definitions. Uh, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm going to reel it back. But no, by the de- two definitions, he is not black. That was laid out by not my definition. That was laid by out by Miss Colors in in her um yes and statement. It, it's kind of sad that uh, Dyson here that he can't just be honest about it, and he had to double down because he kind of flubbed it. It's kind of that's sad. Well, he has he he he. Still no, I know has that's to go the to system. Liberal universities. And- <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's, that's <laughs> the system. That's why we do a podcast, <laughs> so right. we can actually say these things and get down to some brass tacks. And speaking of what we do, I think this is a good time to explain people exactly what we do. First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. Yes, and the only way that'll ever work is without corporate interest and uh, pharmaceutical companies wanting to advertise and any kind of corporate funding of this will not work. It has to be two men sitting at the table hashing stuff out, and that's why we have uh, adopted the value-for-value model here on MoFax with Adam Curry. And uh, I'd like to uh, thank our uh, executive and associate executive and other producers for episode number we had uh, 44, of course, never forget that. Yes. Episode number 44. Uh, and again, this is, uh, you get out of it what you put into it. There's a lot of work that goes into this and a lot of time and effort. And um, the only way for it to be sustainable and for it to grow, quite honestly, because who knows where we could take this, you know, it, uh, who, where we could take us. <laughs> the sky is the limit, Mo. We just have to focus right. and do the work and we'll get there. But we can't do it without your help, and that's why I'm very pleased to uh, start off by thanking uh, Jackie Green. Actually, I think the Green family who came in with the magic numbers, 33333, and a note that says, Great new episode, fellas. Keep up the good work. Love from the Green family. Is this uh, Now, we know the Green family. They've donated before, have they not? I believe so. Yeah, I believe uh, Mr. Green, Mrs. Green have donated separately. Now it's the whole family. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think it's on their different names. I think that's why I don't recognize the name, but I I remember the Green family. Well, we uh, really appreciate that support. That's fantastic. And uh, you're our top executive producer. We'll put the whole family in there just to make it it clear. Uh, Aaron Dadarian. Uh, checks in with $200. No agenda night here. I heard, I've heard Adam talk about the show for a while. And at the urging of my fellow NA listener, Rod Williams, I decided to give it a listen. I am so glad I did. Thanks for the insights. I cannot get anywhere else. That's uh, Aradadarian from uh, California. Thank you, Ara. I'm glad you I'm glad you, you showed up. <laughs> Enjoy. And uh, archive.mofax.com goes all the way back to episode number one. And I might want to point out that in exactly one week from today, I think mm-hmm. it'll be, uh, is that going to be one week? No, less than a week. Less than a week. July 31st will be our one-year anniversary. One year of MoFax with Adam Curry. That went by fast, Mo. <laughs> 
went by fast, but it's been like in slow motion. It's like it's weird. It's a weird. The time went by fast, but like it's made every day eventful. Yes, I'm, I guess it's it slowed down the days, but the time went, the the lapse in time went, went it was huge. Well, if you look, and at I the- also want to say thanks for Rod Rod Will Williams as well for doing the doing the work. Yeah, <laughs> doing doing the important work. But look at the body. Yes. Of, look at the body of work that there is, man. That's, that's a lot. Was it? Well, yeah, twelve hundred hours of content, one hundred and twenty. No, yeah, something. Be, yeah. yeah, it's one hundred and twenty. I mean, no, no twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. It's incredible. Yes, it no, really one hundred twenty. One hundred twenty. You're right. Three times. Yeah. Hey, yeah. whatever it is, it's more than twenty four. It sounds like a lot of work. Uh, so, and and the learning. On both sides, just just it's enriched my life. I'm incredibly happy. Uh, can and- can we stop right here and talk about the peerage and order how we want to do that? Yes, because I'll, and I'll give you my immediate input. So we've been talking about okay. uh, instituting levels for the value for value system. We, we have to do it. We're following the model that No Agenda uh, and the No Agenda producers birthed and over many mm-hmm. years and it works and so the idea is we have levels and then you uh, receive a reward for achieving certain support levels and with the no agenda show we have knights and dames and they become knights and dames of the no agenda roundtable uh, so we were looking for an uh, an, uh, an analog here and i I like that a lot of people say the same thing, although I'm not really sure it's the right one. And specifically, yeah, I, I know. Sure, yeah, I understand see, what you're talking about. See, when people I see that, and it's kind of like, eh, well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. So people say mm-hmm. we should have this this level be invited to the cookout. I'm like, no, right. no, no, no. That's that that feels wrong. <laughs> that sounds wrong. It's like, what are you talking about? It that's it's not the right way to go. Is my feeling. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion. We've said it in jest several times on, on this show and, and uh, other times. Doing the work, I think. Doing, I mean, because we're doing we're, the work is the we're way to literally go. doing. <laughs> and then the other thing is, when you say it to somebody, it'll they'll be like, oh, you are. And then like so, <laughs> we hit a certain limit. And now I, I was looking for a hierarchy of terms they use, like ally and those kind of things. Yeah, so if there is yeah. one out there. Let's just co-op there. Hell, they co-opt everything you're saying anyway. Okay. So we'll just co-opt from them. All that right. We're doing the work. And <laughs> when you hit a certain level, we got to still decide the level that you're an ally. And you can say, you know what? <laughs> I am an ally of the Mo, Mo Facts and Adam Curry podcast. Uh, you know, an interracial podcast. So I am an ally and I'm doing the work. That way. <laughs> are, are we interracial or are we intersectional? That's the question. I don't know what 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 are we, Adam? <laughs> what, what? Well, don't tell anybody what, what we really are. Yeah, put, no, <laughs> that, put, that would put, ruin a, it. put a label. You had to put a label on it, Adam. I mean, okay, we're, a we're Maca and Jacka. We're we're Salt and Pepper. We're uh, Ebony and Ivory. What the hell? I don't right. know what we are. <laughs> so no, but I think doing the work. Um, because then it's just hey. Are you, like are you doing the work? Are you doing the I work? I like it, and then I think, and it, then ally, and we come up with a uh, with a, a hierarchy of ally and that kind of thing. But once you hit a certain, I think once you contribute to the show, you're already an ally. You're an ally we can right have a certain, there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because you, you're already done the work. 
Well, um, then maybe you become a... That was just my opinion. That was just my opinion. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it up to uh, our producers who uh, will have to do the work and let us know what they think of levels. I like the idea of doing the work. It's so ridiculous, but it's also true. It's true. It's 100 <laughs> You could not do better. You could not do the work better than by uh, being a producer and just enjoying the converse, the conversation. That is no. They're not enjoying it. They're they're uh, they're studying you know, it. They're doing the work. Just, that's no, it. They're supporting the conversation. Ah, I mean, because yes. that's what they're doing, right? They're bring you no know, supporting. They the give work. us motive to come here. Yeah, supporting. So oh you can say God. I'm so I'm an ally supporting some of the most important one of the most important conversations of our generation. Boom. Are you doing the work? That's it. That's it. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what, what work are you doing? <laughs> All right. We move on to Brian Martin with that, with 193.90. Interesting number. Mo, have you, ex- uh, you have expanded my mind in thinking on the topic of race and human relations through American history. We are in a confusing time devoid of logic and sense. I could articulate what I saw as the contradiction, but could not elaborate on the forces behind it. Your ability to weave historical context into modern events is fascinating. I'm using your episodes on white fragility and black ink as an educational basis for my son and his girlfriend. Excellent. As we close out the summer, they are poised to return to their university home where the topics of race and equality will no doubt be discussed. I see these two episodes as the beginning of what I hope will be an enlightening class and discussion. I also plan to investigate Johnson's Great Society as a strategic move against the rise of communism in the black community, a hypothesis that came to mind while listening to the Black Ink episode. That's uh, 43. I request, so first of all, excellent idea. Get those kids doing the work. (laughs) (laughs) It will only benefit them. This is no doubt. Uh, and we thank Brian, and he wants a woosah for all those struggling with their fragility and the guilt of it. Uh, Brian Martin from uh, Parkland, Florida. Of course, we got a woosah for you, man. We got a Andrew. Nice. Andrew Welleth, one, two, three, four, five. Great number. Uh, Adam and Mo, Sir Andrew of the Wet Drains from No Agenda World, sending my value to Mo Fax. The most recent Black Ink episode was fantastic and finally pushed me over the ledge to show support for the show. Sorry, Adam and JCD, I've been a douchebag. This project has been great to listen to with its relevance to the words current wash cycle. I would also love to hear Mo's opinion on uh, Mash Toure. Is that who, how you pronounce it? Mash Toure with Black Guns yes, Matter. Yes. Okay, Mash Toure. I've seen I've seen Mash Toure tweeting around. Give me the give me the lowdown. Yeah. Anybody that's uh, helping us arm ourselves uh, and know our rights, I'm all for. Well, there you go. GBG. <laughs> hashtag GBG. Hashtag GBG. That, that, that actually, people were all over that. They were doing give black guns <laughs> hashtags and stuff. People love that on Twitter. That was fun to watch. I like that. I'm proud of it, actually. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Justin Coyle, $110.58. Dear Mo and Adam. Uh, thank you so much for the education your conversations with each other have brought. Both my wife and I have listened to every episode, discuss your topics weekly with our neighbors, friends, and coworkers. That's not a discussion. You're doing the work. I would like to give my smoking hot wife, Mel Z, a special birthday shout out with a donation in her name of 110.58 towards her place. Uh, on the doing the work scale, <laughs> uh, which to be determined, but yes, and you need to 
uh, keep track of your uh, of your support so that we can once we've got mm-hmm. that figured out and everyone can mail it in let us know and he has a note here that says happy birthday babe you are my grounding force i love you oh that's so sweet oh that's nice and then he also has a, a nice offer uh as a uh firearms instructor and police officer for over a decade uh to help us with any training any uh, firearm selection anything we want uh all we have to do is uh, go to nashville i'm saying it sounds like a good family trip two families go to nashville we all shoot some guns up oh yeah <laughs> More value. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Justin, thank you so much. Very kind. Brandon Shipley, our um, first associate executive producer. Value for value, he says. Love the show. Always very insightful. Thank you, Brandon. Sir Scott King of the... Oops, let me expand this a little bit. Uh, Why can't I see what... Ah, King... (laughs) Sir Scott Knight of the Knight surname. There we go. $100 associate executive producer. Mo and Adam... I hope you both understand what a valuable service you are providing for our country and world right now. I'm currently doing the work <laughs> by going back and listening to all of the episodes. Yep, that's, that is work. But just listening to the last five episodes has not only given me a profound new understanding of American black heritage, history, and culture, but also an immunization against the insane agendas being pushed on all of us. Your discussions confirm to all of us listeners that we're not going crazy it's just the crazy world we live in right now, and I believe you both are helping to unite us all. I, would, I hope so. By the way, some very good shows I've watched recently have coincided with your podcast, and I highly recommend them. There's Snowfall and Kill the Messenger, both about CIA's influence on the drug war in the 80s, and of course, Malcolm X with Denzel Washington. And here's my chip in to hashtag GBG, give blacks guns for a seat at the table. Uh, and you are indeed on your way, Sir Scott, by doing this work. Uh, he says, keep up the good work, and please give me a Mo Karma. Thank you, Sir Scott, Knight of the Knight's surname. You got that for sure. Thank you, Sir Scott. You've got Mo Karma. Chef Elvis Rosenberg, always supporting us with $100. No note from the chef today? No note. I was shocked. No I always oh. look forward to hearing from the note. Oh, I mean, uh, getting a note from the chef. All right, chef. Well, let us know if we, if we missed it somewhere. And thank you very much. Now we have Steve Sims. Hey, guys. Love your show. Thanks for helping me broaden my thinking. I'm sending $90.75, which is 33% of my final week of unemployment payments. Ugh, thank you. The rumors are true. Florida's about the stingiest state in the union. Keep doing what you're doing. Dedouche me, if you will, but no jingles, no karma. We're going to give you a woosah. That's uh, our version of it. Thank you very much, Steve. Daisy of the left coast, 7777 in the morning, Jensen. Thank you for your courage. Obviously, a jumper from no agenda where I'm a douchebag, soon to be corrected, Adam. It's all right, man. That's all good. Um, And I very much appreciate the content. I donated to MoFax first because, well, I felt it would matter more. Also, I have uh, fairly two minor critiques. First and foremost, I would love access to the clips, which, again, are valuable and very much worth sharing. So if there's any way to make that a thing, I'd be... (laughs) No. Hey, uh, a few episodes back, we started doing this, and uh, I have not... I, it's a, a little bit more work to go back and put all the clips in all the show notes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but the uh, um, we have the we have what we've done for the last like three episodes. I think we've put the clips in. I think so. So moving forward, we we're done. Yeah, oh yeah. And moving forward, that is absolutely done. Uh, and you can find all of that. You can find all the episode show notes by going to archive.mofax.com. Uh, 
so if there's a yes, okay. Second, my smartphone is apparently somewhat retarded. Ooh, R word. And I cannot listen to the show via Google Podcast as I do with no agenda. And my phone is incapable of keep keeping track of where I am in a show, even when downloaded. I would love to know what app or medium you gentlemen would recommend for listening that provides even decent functionality. Other than my issues with dumbass technology, I'll readily admit operator error on both counts. I feel more learned with every episode, uh, and I'm pleased as punch to help produce this product. Keep up the good work, dudes, and helping with keeping the tribe sane through all the craziness, says Daisy of the Left Coast. Thank you, Daisy. I personally, I use Overcast. Um, now that's uh that that is a product that works on the Apple. But you know what's kind of cool about podcast is you can just download it directly from our webpage, and you know you can put that if you have an Android, and any player will work. You don't necessarily have to use a podcast player. Um, although it is it is more recommended. The problem is you get these Google and um, uh, Spotify. They're, you know, it's unreliable whether they'll work, whether you're going to be in there, whether it will update. So uh, do yourself a favor, find a, a podcast app for your platform. They're almost for every single platform. And if all else fails, you can find us on YouTube. There you go. At, um, MoFax. Uh, and please, everybody, if you could go, even if you don't listen to it on YouTube, Go like the video there because it'll, it'll help spread the word there as that well does. with the algorithm. So, more work for you to do. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks. <laughs> and now we go to Jacob Smith, uh, 55, actually, Jacob Bowman Smith, 5555. Just finished listening to all your wonderful and highly educational shows and happened to end the episode 37 where you talked about how Abe Lincoln was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if we said that exactly like that, but okay. Uh, years ago, I read Lincoln Unmasked, What You're Not Supposed to Know About Dishonest A by Thomas J. DiLorenzo. When I found out Lincoln was a tyrant who suspended habeas corpus between 61 and 62, uh, allowing the indefinite detention of citizens without trial and how he also wanted to literally abolish black people to Liberia, which uh, was started as a settlement by the American Colonization Society, correct? Uh, they believe black people would face better chances for freedom and prosperity in Africa than in the United States. Since reading this book, I have heard no one discuss this topic. Well, hello. Although I have to say, uh, 45 Savage, he does he, had, he he does say things like, well, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, the, supposedly he was great. Supposedly <laughs> he was great for the slave. He's hinting at that. I like I, that. I, I noticed hilarious. that too, yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I read up on Honest Abe and hmm. Uh, anyway, I've heard no one discuss this topic, let alone show that Abe Lincoln was a tyrant and a racist. Thank you for making me feel less nutty about all these crazy facts while I wade through the deep waters of uber-woke Marxists who surround me at all times at my work and at Trader Joe's here in Super Left Seattle. Also, thanks for the house buying karma. My wife, Rochelle, and I bought a new house in North Seattle that had no competing offer. Yes, Mo Karma works. That's a good story. Very happy to hear that. And thank you. Thank you for sending that in, Jacob. Brian Rogers, $55. Hey, Mo and Adam, please accept my double nickel donation as I'm trying to put together a hot streak of consecutive shows with a contribution. Excellent. You guys are the best one-two punch since Carl Malone and John Stockton. <laughs> wait, wait. Carl Malone, the mailman? The, ma- the mailman. Yes. From downtown. See? I know something. I know some things. I'd also like to make a request for a Westside gun cancel cannon 
for both Stephen Jackson and Dwayne Wade for supporting anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, their shill of a commissioner, Adam Silver, won't say anything about it. Keep up the awesome work. Uh, Mo, educate me. Uh, so I think this is in defense of uh, Nick Cannon. They came uh, out and kind of threw him under the bus oh, and didn't back him, oh, even though they're supposed to be super woke. Oh, so boy. I oh, think boy. that's uh, that's what he's talking about. No, actually, they supported uh, Nick Cannon, but then they had to backtrack. I know Steven Jackson did because he was like, I don't want no parts of that. So he originally came out, supported uh, Nick Cannon, but then he came. He had to walk it back. Well, I'm sorry. We'll have none of that. Here's a cancel cannon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, Robert Klein, 5433. Your shows are fascinating, he says. You and the Podfather are killing it. Started with JRE, found no agenda, then found Mo Facts. Yes, a rare... Ronamo. Ronamo donation. Yes, they are out there in the wild. You start with Rogan, go to No Agenda, MoFax, and support them all. Thank you for the amazing work and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Robert Klein. Derek Skolowski, $50. We thank you for that. Uh, Carl Schneider, $50. Raleigh Hawk, $50. And has a note, the show just keeps getting better. Keep it up. Baronet and Black Knight, Sir Lineman of the Net. And our final associate executive producer for episode 44, Vincent Breckley, with $50 and says, thank you for making me think outside the box. Very nice. And that's my guy. I know him personally. That's my guy. Vincent? Oh, cool. Yes. All right. Another soul saved, Brother Mo. <laughs> Another one saved. John Taylor sends $40 uh, to support the show and says, this is for enlightenment. And we thank you for that, John. Then Carolyn Dierenberg, or let me see, is it Dierenberg maybe? Is it, I mean, she might be Dutch. Uh, has a longer note here. Let's take a look. Dear Mo and Adam, thank you for your podcast. Help me understand American black. Oh, yes. This is good. From outside the United States. These things are important. Mm-hmm. Uh, help me understand American black history and culture better. If only I only started listening a couple of weeks ago after being hit in the mouth by Jacobin, Dame of the Doomsday Deniers, after we met at a protest rally of the Yellow Vests, the Gele Hesches, that's in the Netherlands, in December of 2018. She advised me to start listening to the No Agenda show, uh, and I finally dove in. I'm 57 from the Netherlands, unfortunately now ill with Crohn's disease and on 100% disability, but not complaining. And I lived in Chicago in 82-83 with a liberal Jewish family in the beautiful University of Chicago neighborhood. That is a nice area. The Jewish community welcomed me with open arms in their midst, and even though... I was raised Dutch Reformed. I had a wonderful time there and luckily didn't encounter anti, any anti-Semitism. The south side of the city, however, was a no-go zone. It was very impoverished with boarded-up houses, lots of crime and dangers to drive through, and also for the people living there, mostly blacks and Hispanics. Would you today address them as ADOS and Latinos? Well, I think there's, there's going to be ADOS and there's going to be a lot more besides just latinos or latinx there's gonna be all kinds of people there now right i mean uh, uh jamaicans you name it it's all in there uh with the election of the first black mayor democrat harold washington there was hope for a better future now 38 years later the black on black crime looks like a civil war and it's heartbreaking for me to read about my heart goes out to all the women who lose their men, children, and family to this absurd violence. Mo, can you please explain why it's still so bad in these big cities? Did the city officials, Democrats, take all the aid money to enrich themselves and give jobs for their own family members instead of improving the neighborhood? 
What episode did we have Bob Woodson on, Mo? I mean, this is kind that of... That was the- uh, three or four episodes ago. Yeah. I'm going to say maybe 39 or 40. And, well, they did give their money to, I mean, nepotism to their family to help them. But they don't want to fix the system. If you fix the system, you put yourself out of a job. So, exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point. <laughs> and I want to say something. Um, someone wrote me a letter about Chicago. And they were telling me... I, I'm going to take their word for it. There was like all the shooting happens on like ma- mainly two city blocks and that, and that's it. Um, so it's kind of like Hampshire on the wire. Like they Chicago kind of lets them, you could kill on these streets as long as you don't mess right. up the rest of the city. So yeah, they're allowed, they're given uh, to quote uh, the Baltimore where Baltimore mayor, they're given space to riot pretty much so yeah. they're giving free reign just to in certain areas whoever they want to on those poor city blocks and as long as they keep it out of uh you know the good tax-paying neighborhoods that's a, that's a good explanation it's episode 40 where we brought in bob woodson now um, yeah, yeah okay, okay. Ca- carolyn has been uh has been listening to the show from the beginning she's at number four now uh so you got a couple more to go and she says she recognizes a story from No Man About the House. This is interesting. Me and my brother were raised by a single mom with psychiatric disorders, and we lived on welfare. When my mother had a new friend, he could not live with us, or the benefits would stop. Social services did check our house more than once. Bizarre to hear these same policies existed decades before on the entire other side of the world. Maybe not by <laughs> mistake. And we're starting to it see starts that. With us. Yes. It Thank starts you. with us. <laughs> well, we always know who's going to go first. <laughs> Pay attention to your black friends. It's like, okay. Carolyn, thank you so much. Uh, Kentil Patilia. $24.07. Hey, Mo and Adam, this is my Ronamo contribution. I've become a regular listener of the show and I've been trying to catch up with all the episodes, enjoying the learning, enjoying and learning a lot from the show. And the last episode, Black Geek, was the best I've heard so far. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Clinton, $23, and says it right there. I'm doing the work. Uh, Catherine Palandrani, $20. Thank you for that. No note. Yuri Weber, 1974. Thanks for helping my continued re-education. I work at a member-run cooperative grocery store, and the struggle for racial equality came in the form of union organization organizing. Uh, there's not too many people who I can share this with there, but I'm picking a few curious co-workers to help enlighten. Thanks again, Yuri in Brooklyn. Yuri, that is doing the work. Thank you. Outstanding. Sasha Wright, $16, says, Hello, Mo and Adam. I was thinking about what to call the Mo Facts Producers Tribe, and I wanted to share an idea. What if we call it the Table of Truth instead of the Knights and Dames? We call ourselves Guardians. Oh, that's also interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just an idea, but it seems fitting for a show such as this. I'm a new mom to a beautiful five-month-old baby girl living in western Oregon, so we've been very isolated due to COVID-19 and all the craziness going on in Portland. No kidding. Y'all have given me a connection to the outside world, and it really helped keep this mama's mind working. Thank you for all you both do, and God bless you both. I'd love to get some Mo Karma if possible. Yeah, Sasha, and thank you. And, um... What better way? And you know this, and this, this kind of stuff. When you play stuff around your kid, it matters. It really does. They pick stuff up even that young. And we got some Mo Karma for you. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. Uh, winding it up here, we've got Andrew Batter, fifteen dollars value for value. Thank you for your courage, forty-year-old white guy, giving something tangible. Uh, and since we only have a few left, uh, we don't have to jumble the 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 numbers i don't think for under 10 today mo i think we'll just uh, read through them 
as uh, we got $10 from Centerloft with no note. Uh, James Holly, $10, and said, The cancel cannon had me laughing out loud. Mo Karma, please. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. John also supports us with $10, says, Thank you for the Black Ink episode. William Foreman comes in with five, Terry Keller with four, 11, and finally, John Fletcher, the screamer of the No Agenda show, $3.33. He says, I have to donate to the show. And to show my support for this kick-ass and valuable podcast, I wish it could be more. That's the thing about value, Fletch. Uh, Value is uh, very individualistic, and we appreciate all the value that people receive from the show and uh, how they return that uh, through our Value for Value um, model is incredibly encouraging. Thank you so much for that. And thank you all for doing the work. Please support us. By going to MoFax.com, uh, or you can go directly to our uh, donation page, MoFundMe.com, M-O-U-F-U-N-D-M-E.com. Uh, and thank you to all these great producers for producing and doing the work for episode 44. As I said before, Barack Obama received the most friendly coverage and even downright uh, ignoring case uh stories that could have been damaging to him and i have a couple of examples for um for of this in the next couple sets of clips okay um i guess the first one let's just go ahead and hop in malia gets an internship Sadly, the Obamas have officially moved out of the White House. After eight years of incredible leadership, the most impactful first family we've seen in years is preparing to transition into life outside of the office, and that includes the girls, too. Overnight, news broke that Barack and Michelle's oldest daughter, Malia, has just secured a major internship with famed Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein. After the family finishes vacationing in Palm Springs, and before Malia heads off to her freshman year at Harvard, she will spend some time right here in New York City learning all about what independent film has to offer. Harvey Weinstein and his brother Bob, who raised money for the Obama campaign, have one of the most successful independent film companies in the world. Their credits include Shakespeare in Love, The King's Speech, and most recently, Jay-Z's new series, Time, The Khalif Bowder Story. So it's safe to say that Malia will be in good hands. But we are saddened by their inevitable exit from the White House. It will be awesome to cheer on the Obamas when they have half the stress and double the freedom to accomplish anything they can dream. Yeah, I don't think we need to even say anything about that. I think that, that story speaks for itself. Had, had you heard of this before? I mean... I, I recall one story quite a while back that, that, I, that she was going to work there or something, but it, when Me Too happened... No, that was not brought up. Isn't there 16 individual, indi- uh, what do you call it, independent uh, intelligence agencies at the <laughs> behest of the president? If I'm the president and I'm sending my daughter to work somewhere, <laughs> trust you, me. You might check it out first. What is this guy Harvey all about? You know what I mean? I mean hey, and then as is known, as it was Oprah's secret in Hollywood that uh, he was handsy at at be, I mean at best or at worst however you want to put it there. Um, yeah, this is and not you let the your guy. daughter no. go off and work. <laughs> this is not the guy. No, wow, well, and she's going to be in good hands. <laughs> well, you know that you know I I always stick to the uh, to the rumor that uh, both the Obama kids are not Barack's kids. 
One is uh, Stevie Wonder's kid, and the other one is Scottie Pippen's kid. That's what I, I've I've always said that. Well, if you see the pictures of the two, <laughs> if you see the pictures of the two people that are apparently supposed to be uh-huh. uh, their biological parents, yeah, no, it's very damning. It's yeah. very, it's very, it's very damning. But like I said, I'm not gonna dabble in those kind of conspiracies because I'm gonna say my keep my powder dry for other things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Your daughter going to work for Harvey Weinstein, and this has to be 2016. Yeah. There was already rumblings Jeez, about crazy. Harvey in 16, right? I mean, yes. I believe, uh, right yeah, up. yeah. Oh man, can you believe that? But they let you know they're disgusted by the behavior behavior of Harvey Weinstein. President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama say they are quote disgusted by the behavior of Harvey Weinstein, who's accused of sexual assault and raping several women. A portion of their joint statement says Michelle and I have been disgusted by the recent reports about Harvey Weinstein. Any man who demeans and degrades women in such fashion needs to be condemned and held accountable, regardless of wealth or status. They also said we should celebrate the courage of women who have come forward to tell these painful stories, and we all need to build a culture, including by empowering our girls and teaching our boys decency and respect so we can make such behavior less prevalent in the future. Their statement comes after critics accused the first couple of staying quiet about the Weinstein allegations, which dropped last week in a report in the New York Times. And then, of course, yesterday, the New Yorker dropped an even more explosive piece as well. Weinstein has been a major Democratic donor in 2012. He contributed $71,000 to Obama's campaign. Their oldest daughter, Malia, recently interned at the Weinstein Company. Weinstein was also a prominent supporter of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. She also finally released a statement saying she was shocked and appalled by the revelations and said the behavior cannot be tolerated. Now, here is how a normal (laughs) father would respond somewhere between this report 2016 and today 2020. At some point, maybe by myself, maybe with my wife, I'd say, I was so shocked when I learned this. And I could not believe that my daughter had been in, in possible danger. And you would have to say something about this. But no. Yeah, and they, 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 and they acted like they didn't know. But and then uh, Michelle said, we need to believe all women in their stories. <sighs> so why didn't they listen to the former White House photographer? You saw a lot of people come and go at the White House as well. What did you think, for instance, when Harvey Weinstein visited? Mm. Uh, that was a very, very tough moment. My entire body was screaming. Uh, I'm not sure if Australian viewers are aware, but shortly after the New York Times article last year, I came forward and told my story of Harvey Weinstein and my knowledge of him in the film business. And when he came to the White House with uh, Michelle Obama for a Broadway tribute uh, uh, event, I was, my body was screaming inside and I wanted to shake Michelle and go, no, 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 don't do this. So what and was I your experience? Connected. I've got to know. It's not were, me. I said no. Anna, did you ever, you, saw, you talked about how your skin crawled when you saw Harvey Weinstein walking with Michelle Obama. Did you ever, were you ever able to warn them about the, the sort of company they were keeping? Actually, they came up recently with one of her aides. I said to I said to them just recently after the Michelle Obama, they contacted me. I said, you know, I tried to warn Michelle, and they said, well, when, when, and how did you do that? And I said, I spoke to her first lady press office, both in the East Wing, and I spoke to President Barack Obama's office on the West Wing. 
And I don't know why those messages didn't get um, to them directly, but I was very surprised and disheartened uh, that Harvey Weinstein was there. I thought it was hypocritical of the First Lady at the time. I guess she didn't know what everyone else knew. And I was very concerned when, of course, um, as it's such, Malia uh, started interning at, wow. at uh, Miramax, at the Weinstein Company. <laughs> I have not. I I had not heard this of uh, this woman. This is great, and I've done a lot of work on uh, researching these people. That's fantastic. Well, of course, this all leads into some of my favorite topics. And then the, the two things that just strike me is just you can't ignore these two facts. One, Barack Obama being the uh, leader of the free world. <laughs> Yeah. Have all this access to all these intelligence agencies. You can't have somebody look into Harvey and then your wife is BFFs with Oprah, who has the intelligence, uh, the uh, entertainment intelligence agencies. I mean, uh, TMZ, <laughs> and I'm sure she has, she yes. has uh, moles everywhere. Or you can just pick up the phone and say, hey, oh, what's up? It's yeah. Michelle. Yeah. You- um, <laughs> yeah. Harvey, what, what's up with him? How is he? Yeah, I'm checking on behalf of my daughter, who I love so much, and I'm going to send her off to intern. What do you think, O? And why didn't O say, hey, Michelle, I don't really want to say nothing, but you might want to <laughs> let her uh, uh, intern over at the Ford Foundation. I'm just saying. <laughs> USAID. Anything but Harvey. <laughs> right. That, that conversation never happened. This is... Yeah, that's that's all. This is what I talk about in the media, and then you have these women coming forward that so they warned her, and yeah, mm-hmm. it was well known news, but nobody reports on that. Now, this next topic, I wrestled with it. I it was in, and it was out, and then it was in, and then it was out. Well, I'm, and I was like, oh, go ahead. before you lead into the topic, I'm glad you left it in because I worked with this person. Uh, on her own show in New York when she was on uh, Channel 5, but it was syndicated nationally. I I really had an affection for her. I think we got along professionally extremely well. Um, and she had two modes, uh, really three. With me, she turned on an extra kind of like charm, which, I, which mm-hmm. was very endearing. And I played right into that, of course. She's older than I was. Um... But if she was saying something truthful to you, like in between a commercial break, it, she it, she meant it. She, she was very, very straight-laced. I'm talking about Joan Rivers. Take it from there. No, you take it from here. <laughs> okay. So, so Joan... No, no, well, I, 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 no, it's good. I mean, this is a hard one. Like, okay, this is what I was talking about, about... That hater, I mean, that hater cloud no, looming it, over you. That's okay, because I've done this many times, so people can hate me for this if they want. It's not a problem. Right. Uh, so Joan Rivers was uh, was asked, and she was very in tune with, uh, if there is such a thing, the gay community. She's, mm-hmm. she's been around. She's show business, the theater, uh, television, uh, movies. She's a very, very, very long history. Very connected woman. And also very intuitive because she went through a lot of tragedy and she could feel people and understand where they were coming from. And she turned everything into a joke. And that's how she dealt with her life, I think. But mm-hmm. 
But there was a rumor, and um, I can't honestly remember where it <laughs> we, we started. We can't say it. No, I, I can I say I guess it. you just had to play it. No. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, it's just, I'm not shying away from it. I'm just... Well, there, well, there was. There I was, can't believe she said it, and then I can't believe it was not covered. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, well, I think it was. It was. Was it for Entertainment Tonight or or who? who yeah, aired I think it? it was AT or TMZ. I think TMZ. TMZ was, might have aired it, was, it. I think. Yeah. And I think Howard Stern played a lot, which uh, mm-hmm. which is probably where I heard it first. But these rumors have been around for quite a while. And when Joan Rivers said this to me, it meant something more than to the average person because I knew that this was Joan in not joking mode. Miss Rivers, how are you? Oh. You made you made a ton of news right. officiating the wedding in New York yesterday. Is this like a is this like a new uh, cottage uh, career move I for you? I'm so excited. Okay. And I should do very well because I don't joke. And do you think that the country will see the first the United States will see the first gay president or the first woman well, we president? We have it with Obama, so let's just calm down. Got it. You know Michelle is a trans. I'm sorry, she's a what? A transgender. We all know. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Now she had just officiated, I think the 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 state or the city's first same sex marriage. Yeah, I got I got a clip on that too, just to support that she's not some homophobe or trying no, to tear no, down. No, not the, not no, I'm, what I'm saying is because yeah. that that's where that she'll be painted when you say something against you know saying the Great Barry. Uh, but what struck me is the silence around this story. It was. No, we've saw the emails where people were being rude towards Michelle Obama, and it was like some mayor in some hick town sends an email uh, criticizing Michelle Obama, and it made like national news. Right, right, then, right. Then you, How dare then you? you? Have Joan, right, you have Joan Rivers come out, and she says it so nonchalantly that, and 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 what one thing we have to take into account was. That cover of the thing Newsweek that had first gay president, oh, they had yeah. Barack Obama <laughs> with the uh, rainbow halo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When I heard this, yeah. I'm like, that's not what they meant. Which, like I said, the rumor and rumors and the conspiracies and those kind of things went around, and it's not some something that I can't uh, substantiate. Even though there's so some smoking guns around the activities of men dying in Chicago mysteriously. Well, we yeah, know about the President Hitler's and the Larry Sinclair business and all of that. Oh, that too. I, yeah. I, I didn't like I said. I didn't want to dabble in that. I wanted to come at the angle of this is how the media protects one of their assets. And if you want to use the Operation Mockingbird as a as a framework, <laughs> as a, you know, framework. as a framework, they're protecting one of their real assets, not like quote unquote assets, right? Uh, but then. Joan, I mean, Joan, she just says, oh, yeah. And then she says, okay, we have him, Brock. And I'm like, okay. And then she doubles down like, <laughs> oh, oh, Michelle? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's a tranny. But it's okay. Don't worry about it. I mean, it's all right. She didn't say it like mean or harshly. And then the the interaction opens up with the reporter referencing the same sex marriage that she had just done previously, which I have a clip on. 7 p.m. Jones at Barnes and Noble. She gets a standing O and a surprise request. The comedian, who's an ordained minister, was asked if she would marry these two fans. I pronounce you, and it's wonderful. You're my second marriage. Husband and husband. 
Joan Rivers, a force of nature who was one of a kind. Thanks for the memories, Joan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't end very well with uh, with this well, comment. <laughs> and it seems like Joan knew it may have been coming from her last show that she did. Our top story, though, is the passing of Joan Rivers. Can her voice really be gone? Funeral services for her will be this Sunday in New York. Remembrances are pouring in from all over the world for this comedy legend. Her family says the 81-year-old died peacefully Thursday in a New York hospital. Summing up a legendary career in comedy, Rivers' daughter and co-star Melissa Rivers said this in a statement. My mother's greatest joy in life was to make people laugh. Although that is difficult to do right now, I know her final wish would be that we return to laughing soon. Well, as you know, virtually no subject was off limits for Rivers, including her own mortality. Take a listen to this clip now from her final stand-up comedy performance recorded just one day before she ended up in the hospital. I am now 81 years old. I can die any second. Any, no, 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 no. Don't applaud. I'm not making Like that. I can go like that. Do you understand how lucky you would be? Do you understand you would have something to talk about for the rest of your life? You were invited. Oh, you were there? You were there? What did she say at the end? I couldn't hear it. She said she's talking about her dying. She's like, you were there, you know. Like, I mean, like if her, <laughs> yeah, if she yeah, was yeah, to yeah, die, yeah. it would be a big news, and you would, you know, you say, were there, I was there when she I died. Was there. Oh man! But, but this is one day before she goes in for surgery. <sighs> yeah, very simple surgery. Very simple surgery and routine almost. From yeah, routine, and then they're just they honestly says that she didn't have to die. There are startling new details emerging from the federal investigation into the death of Joan Rivers. The findings have angered her daughter, Melissa. Yeah, Chris Raggy has the latest from outside the clinic where a new report says terrible mistakes were made. It's this simple. Joan Rivers did not have to die. Well, there's always a risk. Whenever you go under, you've got to say maybe this won't work or maybe I won't even come out of it. I mean, it is a major life choice. This just-released 22-page report includes some disturbing claims about what was supposed to be just a routine throat procedure for the comic legend back in August. Among the mistakes, investigators report the clinic failed to get Jones informed consent for each procedure performed and failed to identify deteriorating vital signs. And this is the part that is just astounding. The report says that while Joan was sedated, a staff member, quote, took pictures of the surgeon and the patient with his cell phone. Oh man! Oh, I yeah, I remember all this. It was very disturbing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like proof of a hit. It's yeah. like proof oh yeah, it's like the hit's done. Pay up, bitch. Send me my Bitcoin. Yeah, that's bad, man. Ugh. I, I that was shocking and, to me when she died. It's like what? And then because I didn't hear about the the Michelle thing until after. Me either. Me. I mean, like I said, all this is. What? Like she died mysteriously, and all of a sudden, yeah. like all the no. What shocked me was that the news didn't freak out on her and cancel her. She should have definitely been canceled. To say the first black uh, first lady is a is a transgender. I mean, you have the gay, the LGBT community should have been outraged. The black community should have been outraged. The 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 feminist should have been outraged. You know, the machine uh, the machine didn't the machine suppressed it. The machine didn't let that happen. Which 
when they don't talk about something that can generate a lot of revenue, that's mean it's bigger. It's much bigger. Than money. Much bigger. I was just looking. So, and, yeah, it was Entertainment Tonight. I think mm-hmm. they might have had, they might have shown, I'm just looking at the news, uh, if I can see any historical news stuff. It's really, it only aired there, I think, and that was it. That was I know it. TMZ covered it, and they kind of poo-pooed it away. Like, oh, that's just Joan being just Joan. Joan being you know, crazy Joan. Joan. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I heard it on TM, the TMZ clip, which you can't find anymore. That's the other thing. Like, these clips are disappearing. To find this clip... was hard. Like, I had to go inside of a bigger, like, video that had it in the, the clip embedded. And I had to snip it there. But no, the clips are gone. They're gone. They've been scrubbed. Really? And don't ever get it twisted that Obama is gangster, <laughs> super gangster. And the reason why I say that is 41. And Joan Rivers, her daughter, Melissa, revealing tonight she received a handwritten note paying tribute to her late mother. That note from President Obama writing, quote, not only did she make us laugh, she made us think. She made us think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, handwritten note from Obama. After he just called you gay, your wife tranny. Oh yeah, she, she made, made us laugh. Think. She made us think a little too much. Do you, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember the time that was uh, President Obama was speaking, and I think there might have been a war memorial. Any, mm-hmm. any, 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 and he's referring to you know Mike and I. We uh, yeah, Michael and I. Yes, <laughs> Michael and, and he I. did that on he did it on several occasions. And like I said, I don't want to. I don't have proof either way on what she is or isn't but that a fact that wasn't covered in the news and then he follows up with a handwritten note to melissa rivers yeah <laughs> saying she made us laugh she made us think yeah that, that's like a stone cold like gangster move like did it come wrapped like, in like a, a dead fish or something like I, I, like, I, <laughs> like like i iced her and then i sent the kid a note that is really right. hard <laughs> i love your thinking mo <laughs> no nah, it's just but, and I want to say this before I play this last clip. This is the hill Obama chose to die on, metaphorically or figuratively, and that's the transgender Bathroom, yeah, The bathrooms, but right? This, and I want to say enraged, but just, that was the tipping point for black people. It's like, come on, bro. Like, I mean, you did DACA. You did gay marriage. Before us, I mean, the guy said before us, you did all these other things, and then your last year or two, transgender bathrooms. That's the one you want to. That's the one you want to. Not reparations. Not uh, so the, uh, freeing people. Yeah, so the logical uh, the was, logical conclusion is this is the decision made by a man who has a different cultural history than was portrayed. Yes. But and, and different, it was like different I said, values. You and, parade around as black when you parade around as black that has certain uh, races, expectations ex- that expectations, come with it. Yeah, sure. And that's where you heard the upset, the upset Michael Eric Dyson. Like that's kind of what he was saying. Like, bro, <laughs> come on, I uh, say something. So, but uh, there may be, <laughs> go ahead. Well, no, I'll, I'll ask you. I'll ask you after you get to the next clip. I, I don't worry. Okay. Yeah. There may be some reasonings behind why he's so sympathetic to this uh, demographic, and that's uh, Obama's ex-nanny. 
66-year-old Evie walks the streets of her Indonesian slum. She lives in a tiny room, subsisting on money she earns from washing clothes. Evie's meager existence belies a startling truth. She was once nanny to President Barack Obama. Evie says she's always been proud that the person she cared for, drove to school and cooked for, ended up being number one in the world. The future president was just eight years old at the time. In the late 1960s, his mother Ann Dunham married her second husband and moved to Indonesia. Dunham was impressed by Evie's cooking ability and offered her a job. For two years, Evie lived with Obama and his family in this Jakarta home, but she thinks the young Obama didn't know one fundamental truth about her. Born a man, Evie identifies as a woman. Evie says Ann Dunham might have known she was transgendered, but she never dressed as a woman in front of young Barry. Evie has struggled through life, saying she's never found suitable work since Obama and his family left the country in the early 1970s, but she says Obama's election gave her a reason to feel proud for the first time in a long time. Matt Friedman, Associated Press. Wow, so he... Uh... Thank you for that, too. I I didn't know that story either. Damn you. Damn you, Mo. Now, listen, Maurice, (laughs) you got to stop this. So what do you what do you think the strategy was for whoever is was controlling Obama? And every president is controlled one way or the other. This current one is probably more controlled by military than anything. Um, What do you think the strategy was? Why, Why choose those particular issues to go out with and not i mean sorry to put it just toss a bone i mean why not a single thing what do you think the idea was there well if you look at from a from a marxist mindset it's all about the conflict mm-hmm. so keep the conflict going and just add some lgbbtqqiapk to we got, it. We got we because got, the i want to say this correctly the lgbt community was sitting back on their laurels celebrating the marriage thing so it's like now we need to ratchet it up again another level because you didn't win nothing (laughs) no achievement here (laughs) oh wow until our sisters and brothers have their own bathroom (laughs) there is no victory oh man well that of course is not the end of the (laughs) barack hussein obama story the barry sotero story this story will continue and i look forward to unpacking whatever comes our way with you mo because i think this 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 a lot well i'm not going to say it because it's your it's your tagline to say yes pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself and that is our motto ladies and gentlemen mo thank you so much at a good time man as always as always, Adam, and I'll see you next week. Remember, it's mofax.com if you want to support us directly. You producers are encouraged to do that. M-O-E-F-U-N-D-M-E.com. We'll see you next week right here on MoFax with Adam Curry. I chose this particular song because the words have a very special message. I've heard a lot of songs and I've sang a lot of songs. But none of them really, really came right out and called a spade a spade. This song tells it just like it is. The message is simply that it's just about an impossible task to figure out which of your friends smile is a mask. Dig it.
Thanks, Obama. <laughs>